the cone will die soon. We'll find a way, Professor. We always have. Driven by the unshakable faith, the earth is ours. It is Barbieheimer month. As Christina has been reminding us for at least a year now, July is the month when Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie and Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer open on the same day, fueling an intense marketing rivalry. Round one, fight! We have previously covered Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig's amazing solo directorial debut, and we dipped a small toe into Christopher Nolan's previous work with our Memento episode. As Christopher Nolan's catalog is deep and very varied, we thought we'd catch the algorithmic wave with a newer and more sweeping Christopher Nolan movie. Tonight we're going to be discussing the sweeping 2 hour and 46 minute space epic, Interstellar. Christopher Nolan directed, produced, and even co-wrote this 2014 science fiction film. As most space operas do, Interstellar pays serious tribute to Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Kubrick made 2001 as a magnum opus in 1968, it has been the gold standard that space epics strive for. And like Kubrick, Christopher Nolan had lots of help from real astrophysicists and scientists to make Interstellar scientifically up to par. And we went back and forth for two weeks, and finally he threw in the towel. What Kip's referring to is I had wanted an element of the story where people travel faster than the speed of light. Right. And... It was it was something that was pretty important to me, and right. he made it very clear over a fairly long period of time that um, that is not possible. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, the idea for this sweeping project came from theoretical physicist Kip Thorne and producer Linda Opst. They'd previously helped make Carl Sagan's novel Contact into a film in 1997, and they started talking about making Kip Thorne's work into an accessible film. They got as far as attaching Steven Spielberg to the project after he read an eight-page treatment. However, when Spielberg left Paramount for Disney, DreamWorks had to leave the project behind. Spielberg had gotten Jonathan Nolan, yes, Chris's brother, on board as a screenwriter, and soon the idea of exploring space-time piqued his interest and he joined his brother on the project. Jonathan Nolan had gone to the California Institute of Technology to study relativity for four years to write this screenplay. He also became fascinated with the Dust Bowl, and Chris got permission from Ken Burns to use some of his Dust Bowl interviews. This, this happened about 1.30 when that thing came off the top of the canyon. In my day, we had real ball players. However, the many, many ideas that Jonathan Nolan and Kip Thorne had come up with had to be cut down to a few key ideas and turned into a real screenplay. Still, the space epic came in at a staggering close to three-hour runtime. The film stars Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, Matt Damon, Michael Caine, and Timothy Chalamet. Christopher Nolan's search for a leading man, Matthew McConaughey as Cooper, sought a relatable everyman to help us as an audience experience the story. Other actors, like Casey Affleck, Mackenzie Foy, and Ellen Burstein, play differently aged versions of Murph and Tom, the children of Matthew McConaughey as Coop. 
Early 1980s, it seemed clear to me that the first thing we would see would be colliding black holes. And uh, it seemed also clear to me that we really needed to uh, have a capability to simulate colliding black holes in order to understand the signals well enough in order to be able to analyze the data. And so uh, I think perhaps my biggest contribution was making sure that that that, that, that happened. The work of Kip Thorne is deeply embedded in this tale of desperate space travel. Thorne's research has been into relativistic astrophysics, black holes, and gravitational waves, for which Thorne co-founded the LIGO Institution, Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. However, his most well-known and controversial claim is a theory that wormholes could be used for time travel. You have a wormhole, it has two mouths. One mouth stays here uh, in this room. I give the other mouth to my wife and she has very advanced technology. And so she uh, rides this very rapid spacecraft out uh, for about, say, a year out at nearly the speed of light and then comes back. And so two years have elapsed as seen by her, but as seen by me, 50 years have elapsed. So I am really old by the time I come back. But that, but if we hold hands through the wormhole, uh, just looking, she looks at my watch, I look at hers, There's, they have to tick at the same rate. That seems pretty obvious, and it is the case. The Nolans and Thorne consulted with many scientists toward NASA and SpaceX, and even had astronauts come on set. The film takes place in the dystopian near future, where a crop disease called blight is ravaging the world's crops and replacing the oxygen it takes with nitrogen, slowly making the Earth uninhabitable. Earth's atmosphere is 80% nitrogen. We don't even breathe nitrogen. Blight does, and as it thrives, our air gets less and less oxygen. The last people to starve will be the first to suffocate. And your daughter's generation will be the last to survive on Earth. Somewhere in the decades before 2067, when the story starts, the global famine forced every nation to rethink how they've structured themselves. Most Americans had to become farmers. Only a select elite get a college education, and teaching farming and agriculture became the priority. Cooper is a former NASA pilot turned farmer trying to raise two kids after the death of his wife. I can't tell you anymore unless you agree to pilot this craft. You're the best pilot we ever had. I barely left the stratosphere. This team never left the simulator. We need a pilot, and this is the mission that you were trained for. After getting a strange signal from a gravitational anomaly, Cooper and Murph stumble into NASA headquarters, which is now underground because of the new society's priorities. This is not an accident, it's a message. And Cooper has been chosen to fly the endurance spacecraft on a mission to find the scientist explorers who have been previously gone into space searching for a new exoplanet that can sustain human life. The same unseen beings, they, who have given Cooper the message, were nice enough to open a wormhole near Saturn, which can quickly take our scientific team into a different galaxy. The Endurance, in keeping with the accuracy of the film, was designed around the International Space Station. It should go without saying that another inspiration was Kubrick's space station, which rotates majestically in space in 2001. Interstellar also utilizes robots, which must do maintenance and operate the Endurance. Case and TARS are two such robots whose disembodied voices eerily bring you back to HAL 3000 
the villain of 2001. Everybody good? Plenty of slaves for my robot colony? Get him the humor settings. We fit in better with his unit. Thinks it relaxes us. A giant, sarcastic robot. This is played for laughs, with Tars admitting that it can lie, be sarcastic, and keep secrets, which horrifies Cooper. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. The wormhole and black hole visual effects were supervised by Kip Thorne and modeled after real images and theoretical equations from the Event Horizon Telescope, and the spherical wormhole is scientifically accurate. The Nolans hoped that Interstellar would spur an increasing interest in and understanding of space exploration. Christopher Nolan also raises questions about our conception of a greater good and whether we can even try to supersede the notion of individualism. This is, quite frankly, a terrifying subject to broach on the brink of a climate disaster. After undergoing a pandemic and watching a million Americans die, many in easily preventable cases, we just went back to normal. In Interstellar, similarly, we begin in a grim, desolate, but normalized society undergoing an extinction-level catastrophe, but slowly enough to have a new normal. The dystopian quality of an Earth, where deception must reign at the core for humans to even take the massive emergencies seriously, hits so hard. More than ever, the questions raised in Interstellar feel like a screeching warning in a situation just a touch less dire than the nightmarish one dreamed up by two Batman screenwriters and a theoretical physicist who believes in time travel. General settings. Security settings. Honesty, new setting, 95%. Confirmed, additional customization. Humor, 75%. Confirmed, auto self-destruct, team minus 10, nine. Let's make that 60%. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, let me say, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live show, send us a super chat. We are absolutely obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer it. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are available on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Kona Neutron co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, host of Britonic Reversal, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Jandrew World, illustrator, book cover artist, comic designer, and artist for Give Them an Argument, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and Bad Takes. Christina Oaks, this Barbie is streaming on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cosmopolitics. She's also on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Cosmopolitics. KT Baldessaro is an actress, director, and writer who wrote and co-directed and also starred in Girl in the Basement, along with appearing in quite a few horror movies. I, of course, am your intergalactic traveling host, Forrest Dust Bowl Miller, and I am... Guys, I'm stuck in a wormhole. I'm stuck in a fucking wormhole. I'm, like, literally like Winnie the Pooh. Can I, uh, can I get some help here? Well done. <laughs>
Also, the part of Christina Oaks will be played by the Wolfman as portrayed by Lon Chaney with a guitar. Thank you. Also, I'm still stuck in that wormhole. <laughs> you know I can't allow that, Conan. <laughs> I, I love the fact that uh, you used that picture from your cult. Uh, you know, that, that religious group that is around the bisexual forest. Of, yeah, it's, of... the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the shrine of the bisexual forest. Uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, everyone just, you know, they have a good time. They vibe. I think you should join. Yeah. You should all join my cult. It's a time travel cult. I'm using my time travel, my uh, interdimensional skills that I learned watching this movie, right? I'm using it to, mm. you know, get people to join my cult. I just whisper yeah. things. Well, you know, I, write you should... things. I write things using my quantum gravity uh, powers that I learned. You know what I mean? Like, I write, like, cult, and then they're like, oh, no, Nate, not a cult. It's not a cult. Guys, it's not a cult. Talk yeah. about playing a long game. <laughs> yeah, Thank yeah. You. you know what you could have been doing? You could have been using these time travel abilities to have people go back to Bandcamp Friday and buy Conan's album. That's right. Oh, I, yeah. in, I, I would be in support of your cult then. <laughs> Conan Neutron and the Secret Cult. Exactly. You know? <laughs> um, I, yeah, this movie hits fucking hard. Like, it, at a point where we just, you know, gotten to the other side of a pandemic, uh, and, you know, the, the climate apocalypse is um, literally, like, you know, coming pretty fast. And we all know mm -hmm. that. We've all been warned about that. And well, we're, we're constantly hearing, except like, for uh, our leaders. You know, well, yeah, but like we were constantly hearing, you know, uh, like we only have this amount of time before it, it rises above two Celsius. And then, you know, the whole world gets hotter and then we can't, you know, we can't turn it around. And for like uh, a new normal to be like established around that, like this movie has so many parts to it, uh, you know, of the almost three hours that it's <laughs> that it exists. Into, well, we're uh, I mean, what? what OK, so if that's how we're going to dive into it. And, and again, one of my only major complaints about this movie is that oh it's the blight you know the thing that we're suffering through and it's like well okay so just there's not a lot of interest in explaining it like i get using like the dust bowl uh uh stuff for it and i think that's an interesting take on things but i mean just to get it out of the way we passed the point of conservation about like when i was a baby like we we need to terraform yeah. this planet right now so just I, to get that out of the way i know we all know starts. that that's how the blight starts we start uh, trying to terraform the planet, and then we're like, oh, you know, we, we fucked up. We created the blight. Well, <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought this up, Conan, because this is a, like, I went into the film having had that conversation with you about, like, how, how, why? And so yeah. I did a deep dive into the how, why. And oh, I'm really? satisfied, but also not satisfied. Um, like... I think that there's, a, I'm probably paraphrasing pretty badly, a Mark Twain quote where he says, like, as long as you start with a kernel of accuracy, you can go pretty far from that and still be pretty entertaining. Right. What happened is, and this is what I'm gleaming from individual sentences said in, in, in different scenes. We try to terraform the earth by putting a, a type of algae into the water to correct an issue that we're having. It winds up mutating due to solar rays and produces a hyper-growing type of algae that feeds on the mostly nitrogen in our oxygen, nitrogen in our atmosphere. It overgrows, it enters our uh, like food supply system, and it starts to overcompete our current crops, causing them to die off. Now, here's where the fact that he says the two sentences that we showed in the trailer next to each other, they're like, oh, so this plant really likes nitrogen. And then also our atmosphere is no longer going to be viable for us. It's not exactly causative because, mm -hmm. you know, okay, so I breathe out CO2. 
A plant takes that in, scrubs off the carbon uh, molecule, throws back out the O2, and that's how we deal with current carbon emission issues. If that plant isn't there to do that, I keep off-gassing CO2 and nothing is scrubbing it. So the over-completing plant kills off our scrubber. That's what ruins our air. And because those plants are not there to have the deep roots, we wind up also with a dust bowl situation, which is affecting our lungs. It's not it. all like a domino, but it's like a circle of shit. You need a whole movie just to explain that, by the way. But that was a very and, succinct explanation. And I, and I like that they don't. They, they never dive into anything. They're like, it's the blight. Could not be bothered whatsoever <laughs> to give that explanation. Or even like a hint of it. Or like, oh, it's, if you look at this blackboard, it's, it's like, no, 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 absolutely not. Uh, and, and I like the idea of it, you know, basically us creating our own invasive species with all of this uh, bioengineering of, of, of plants and things. Well, I think what nature meant to do was, no, 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 nature knew exactly what nature was doing. And well, yeah. don't fool with it if you don't know it. This is what also really bothers me. So, okay, we have an atmosphere where we need to scrub out uh, nitrogen, deal with our carbon emission. We don't immediately go into keeping Stephen King's The Sphere, create a biosphere where we can control the atmosphere that we like, oh, okay, fine, fine. But also like other planet isn't exactly where I'd jump. But that being said, I fucking love this movie. I will excuse the shit out of that. I, I would agree with you. I And especially, I think I liked it more the second time. And I say that as someone that, <laughs> like my, my mid-20s crisis, you know, people talk about your, your mid-20s crisis, was that I wanted to become a physics teacher. Right? <laughs> so I'm a big physics nerd. Right? And this is one of the better movies for physics nerds. Like, honestly, like there's a lot of, um, you know, quantum theory, uh, entanglement, mm -hmm. fifth dimension. Mm -hmm. Like it, I, mm -hmm. I like Forrest that you included some of the, some of the stuff from uh, that, <laughs> that, that fountain of charisma, uh, the, the scientist guy uh, on Kit there, because yeah. I think he, he, is, he, he, to be fair, he was way more charismatic when he was younger. Like, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he's, <laughs> He had that leather jacket on. Come on. You got to give us a point for that. <laughs> look, look, look. But I, I'm glad it's there because a lot of times that's just dismissed as, you know, nerd stuff and people just move on and then come up with some, like, you know, just reboot the fuck's capacitor sort of uh, <laughs> sort of explanation for it. But this is actually pretty well-grounded enough in science that if you're, if you're understanding, first of all, that it, it serves a narrative function. It's filmmaking. Right. This is not a yeah. documentary. This isn't Nova. I love Nova. Peace and love. Peace and love. But like, like, it it's a very strong foundation to bring up this like a speculative fiction that ultimately, and I'm sure Andy would agree with me, could basically be a very expensive Doctor Who episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's only enough hallways that they're running up and down, though. That's, that's right. The right exactly. There have to be a quarry involved at some point. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I really like that he gave the scientists like veto power too over his because you could just go like. Yeah. Look, we have a scientist. He's a consultant, but like the movie was a scientist's idea. He wanted to put his own work into something, and then you know Christopher Nolan got attached later. So I like the idea that he's like, well, we can solve the the narrative problem this way, and the scientist is like, yeah, but you can't. That's not the science. So you're not. You got to follow the science. And he's like, because a director like Christopher Nolan could just you know supersede that authority and be like, uh, you yeah. know, no, I'm doing it. I want to do it. It's my movie. And like you know, the guy storms off, and he's like, this movie's not scientific. I'm glad that he didn't do that. And he actually was like, well, if there's really, like, he's like, go home and think about it. And he comes back and he's like, yeah, I went home, I thought about it. And there's still no way that, you know, like I poured through the books, I poured through well, the sacred texts and there's still no way that, 
you know, that th this could happen in the universe. You can't, you can go, you can go uh, like through time, but you can't, you can't go really fast. Like yeah. fast, like it literally, literally the message of it is, uh, you know, time travel. Yes. Fast travel. No. Which you do not see much of in science fiction. Uh, you know why? Because it doesn't make for a compelling visual. <laughs> Wasn't usually. this written by Nolan and his brother? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they had Thorne come on and assist well, with that. Thorin was the first one involved. He wanted to make this movie. They had Spielberg that was going to help them make the movie. It was after, um, yeah. Uh, so, so, so uh, Spielberg had to go to Disney. They didn't get to take the movie with them, like the movie, um, you know, when he went to Disney. Which is wild because so, I feel like the ending, the very ending, is kind of Spielbergy. I I know why. I could tell you why. I okay, know, okay. Let's, let's dive let's finish, in this but shit. But yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to. I want to hear out of this. But well, so so uh, Christopher Nolan's brother got involved with Spielberg, and then he got Christopher Nolan to, to come on um, after that. After Spielberg left, because uh -huh. uh, you know, I mean, he was interested in making people want to go to space more because we haven't gone to space in so long. He's right. like, we should make a movie about space. So he was like, do I have a script for you? And gave him the script that he was working on. And then he went to school. He went to Caltech for four years. Christopher Nolan's brother to write Nolan's. this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. okay. Yeah, so he's like, so he was so far Wait, into it. What's his brother's name? Point. Skippy? Skippy Nolan? What Jonathan? Jonathan Nolan. Jonathan, yeah, okay. but he was so deep into it at that okay, point that he could practically become a physicist, but he was doing it to write the script. So Christopher Nolan skip got involved and started uh, throwing out a lot of their ideas that <laughs> they had come up with over this really long process. He had to go through all the like, oh, so you know, no, there's a kernel here, no. there's a treatment. Of, so, like, so they wrote up the treatment and he's like, I like this, I like this, I don't like this, I don't like this. And then he made it his own. But it was originally supposed to be a movie that came out in the early 2000s uh, with Spielberg as the, as the director. That would have been, I don't think it would have had the grittiness that it needs no. Certainly not, and 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 the seriousness of it, like as a big blockbuster picture, which can also be like, you know, like that's a double edged sword with Nolan. Uh, that that there's time where it's like, come on, bro, really? But like, I I think it absolutely works here, and I think it's one mm -hmm. of the last times we kind of have seen that in a picture of this size uh, in recent memory. I'm curious. Well, Katie, what were you going to say about the Spielberg thing? I because that's somewhere I want to go. Wait, oh, I, yeah. I have one more. Wait, I have one more thing I have to say. Okay. So yeah. the the reason that this movie even was an idea in the first place is that uh. Uh, Kip Thorne and Lydia um, Oberst. Or, I thought you know, I said Lydia uh, Tarr. No, but like his, his friend that they were both friends with Carl Sagan and the Matthew nice. McConaughey movie Contact that was based on Carl Sagan's novel. Yeah. They had both yeah. uh, consulted on that and worked on it. And then, so this was Kip Thorne basically saying, hey, we should do my version. Like, like look, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interesting too. You should do my version. And of, I'm alive. Uh, yeah. yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> so she was like, yeah, all right. I like that idea. So they started pitching around like a movie like basically like the the uh core of they had an eight page treatment and they walked around and they're like we have this treatment and we want to make another science movie and then you know eventually got it made like I mean, two decades later I mean, they, sorry, had, they had just done carl sagan's contact and it was not well received so <laughs> i could see the being like Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> um i was gonna say uh, i am obsessed with uh this kind of like uh, science and black holes, much like you are, Conan, uh, not because I had a midlife crisis where I want to be a physicist, but because I think you really get two types of stoners in the world, those that watch <laughs> nature documentaries, and then those that watch black hole documentaries, and I am the latter. Um, mm -hmm. But Disney already owned IP exactly like this, that yeah. they didn't want to reboot because they felt it was too dark and too gritty. Like you guys black must, hole? I was going to say, come <laughs> on, y'all. I mean, that's what my vital, I'm Vincent, vital information yeah, necessary yeah, yeah. unit. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's been a bit since I've seen that one. <laughs> I actually, it is on Disney. You can watch it right now for yeah. free. Um, it holds up, and it is a lot darker than you would expect from a Disney movie. I remember in 1979. Being pretty dark. Yeah, it like, is. I remember being like, I don't know if I should be watching this dark. I mean, Maximilian Shell plays the the villain, so go yeah. go big on that. Um, but the entire encapsulated story with uh, Matt Damon's character, where there's the mutiny of the original ship because he doesn't find the correct planet. That's the story of Black Hole, the 1979 film. So much so that when they went to reboot it, they had to cancel it because this they were told that they were ripping off Interstellar. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I had Black Hole bed sheets as a kid. Nice. That that is simultaneously awesome and not surprising in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like I feel like they also took um like a similar plot to that and they put it into Ad Astra at the end with his father. Yeah, with the, with the yeah. And like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, so I, I like that. There's like a, a core of um scientific movies that came out in like the mid 20th century, right? Like mm-hmm. 2001: The Space Odyssey, like Black Hole, like mm-hmm. these, these like bigger movies that you know came out a while back that still kind of form the core of like what you can really do or like what, what's what directors are looking to do in their own version of a space opera. I mean, Star uh, Wars, obviously but, too. But James yeah. Gray's approach is like to literally everything is so much different than Chris Nolan's approach. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, I was just talking about like the, the core of like the, the story. There was kind of like it. no space saga. And then like, Hey everybody, here's all the space sagas. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they did like the Martian, right. Which that mm-hmm. was, that was another one. Mm-hmm. Um, with Matt Damon. Yeah, yeah again, <laughs> also Matt with Matt Damon. Damon, who apparently just gets stuck in places. But anyway. But I definitely feel like if you watch this 1979 Black Hole, which is the first film about a black hole, you yeah. see every film that's ever been about a black hole. I mean, it ends with they go through yeah, the black it's... hole and one of them winds up in hell. One of them winds up in heaven. That's Event Horizon. But what really drove me crazy is this is 1979 and they had the same thing as this film, which is that they thought that they could go through the black hole at the right angle and slingshot through. So I'm like, did Kip Thorne also work on 1979 Black Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Also, kudos to everyone for saying Kip Thorne and not uh, Rip Torn. <laughs> <laughs> what if in Kip Thorne's biography he had been played by Rip Torn, though? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to steer away from that every time I say his name. Uh, I also think that it's notable that one of the goals of this is to kind of like remind people of like the possibles with space travel. And I will say this, that the, what liberal and progressive uh, people of power and positions of power exist within this country are usually completely uninterested in space travel. It's always, it's traditionally been actually something pushed very hard by Republicans. Uh, and again, by Republicans, I mean like this idea of a Republican that doesn't exist anymore. They exist only in the West Wing, uh, so on and so on. But Rockefeller Republicans, so on and so on. Uh, oftentimes in the mindset of frontiership, uh, meaning that like, you know, oh, it's a new frontier. We're going to conquer this new frontier and like, you know, plant our flag, so on and so Trump on. Trump did that a little. Well, let's be fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Yes. I mean, um, you know, also, but I, hold on, that, that, I'm not yeah. even remotely close to the to the point. Well, uh, no, but so. I had an addendum to your point. The reason okay. that Rockefeller Republicans often did that is because a lot of them come from like California and stuff, where the defense contracts are also sure sort of they can make, there, there's yeah, money like, to be made, which, yeah. which I'm not. You know, the, the one kind of good, I mean, not good, but like the one kind of uh, benign uh, defense contract, right? is probably the one that, that, you know, for NASA that you do better space travel. And but that is why they pushed. But it. it's they not the sole reason. 
It's not the sole reason, because again, just like how like you can be an idealist and 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 be conservative, they don't just say like I'm going to get today and do evil. They think they're doing good, right? So it's important to notice that that like, and again, this is mostly no one talks about space now. It's like it's it's like space. Jesus Christ, we're too busy blowing this planet up. We're going to blow up mm -hmm. other ones. Uh, but like it's interesting that i can't think of any modern initiative like i feel like the big cliche is every president like we're going to mars like no we're not <laughs> you think you're full one we're done. um i i feel like uh but i feel like that's almost like the the mcdonald's thing like mom can we get mcdonald's we have you know we have food at home it's like yeah can we can we have uh can we have, like you know planet and it's like we've planted at home and it's earth and it's like ah, but God it's it. but the one thing <laughs> i will say and it's not a very popular thing to bring up in uh especially among online leftists is the first time anyone talks about space travels well we could use, be using that money here and it's like well yeah but it shouldn't be neither or game and and the fact that it's been uh sort of socialized so much that the idea of it being like it's just a wasteful enterprise shows how far as a national consciousness we've changed in um, you know, just just in our lifetimes. It's also why countries. fucking dipshit Elon Musk was able to go uh, underbid all the contracts that NASA had because we're not giving NASA you know the funding that they need. And right. Elon Musk was able to start SpaceX and you know and and Jeff Bezos because those are the people with the money. Since the government isn't putting resources into that anymore, it's been given you know some of the the two most uh, small dicked individuals that we've had in, you know, <laughs> in in the American power circles uh, have been able to underbid our federal projects with that. And if you want to watch an interesting television show about this concept, go watch For All Mankind. For All Mankind! A show that postulates what if NASA became privatized? How would that change their ability and what would that maybe have changed for us? It also postulates that Russia gets there before us to the moon, yep. but... It's actually a good thing we end up with like a, a, a NASA that actually is like a little more looks a little more like America. <laughs> like mm -hmm. there's a lot of no Andy and I champion that show all the time and to almost mm -hmm. no good of kind whatsoever. But the, yeah, the <laughs> forest just you're absolutely right. You hit right at the point. It's the funding issues that cause yeah. a lot of this, which is not accidental, right? Like that that's completely by design, and and, and it's the same. Well, it's the same thing. But we're okay, so. We gave away the infrastructure for uh, uh, to uh, well at the time it was Pac Bell, uh, eventually mm -hmm. AT and T for like w what is now the foundation of the entire internet. At the time it was the phone lines, right? We gave yeah. it away for nothing, and then they get to lease it out to other people in, in the spirit of private enterprise and competition. Mm -hmm. um, in that same way, you know there hasn't because there was no interest in space like there was when um, you know when, when our parents were, were young that like you can get away with that because the idea of like going to space is like oh yeah that's like it's fantasy that's star wars that's mm -hmm. star trek that's like some far off future stuff that's not something that's happening in real life and the rare rare exceptions is you get uh situations um like mark kelly right, right where uh, you have uh people that are like oh yeah by the way i was an astronaut you're like oh yeah we still do that <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot Actually, about that. like uh, I do know real live astronauts because uh, I did live in the DC area for a while and went to sci-fi conventions. And um, those guys are real nerds, like like in the best sense of uh, of everything. Like, yeah. like you know, it's great. Um, a friend of mine comes out of a panel once and goes, um, "Hey, Andy, you ever see the show The Big Bang Theory?" I'm like, yeah, once or twice. I didn't like it. It's like, man, you would have been much better on the panel that I was just on than the guy who was on the panel. We did a Big Bang Theory panel. It was a theoretical scientist in there who's never seen the show. <laughs> that's a um, show that's just that that's a show about smart people for stupid people yeah, yeah. So, but, it's a uh, show. I, but, I, I don't um, recommend it 
Yeah, well, the other thing is that, you know, at the height of the Cold War, the one kind of good thing about it, right, the rivalry between the U.S. and, like, uh, you know, the USSR, is that stuff like space travel was kind of funneled into that notion of, uh, you know, like, bipolar, not, you know, in the in the geopolitical sense of bipolar, uh, <laughs> and also the other Sometimes sense. Sometimes the too. other way, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lyndon Johnson, manic depressive uh, personality, but um, that's... The most uh, relatable things about him, thank you. Yeah, um... <laughs> No, but like, uh, you know, so following into that like uh, bipolar rivalry, um, space travel becomes one of those things that's just like another uh, Cold War, you know, thing that people throw back and forth. But they actually funneled money into it because you don't want cosmonauts kind of fucking walking around on the moon and we're not walking around on the moon because that's a, that's for all mankind. Area. Like what KT brought yeah. up, that's like this is it's speculative fiction, like based around this concept. And it's incredibly well done. It's it's made by the it's Ronald D. Moore, so it's the guy that brought back Battlestar Galactica better mm-hmm. than ever, and the guy that basically made Star Trek The Next Generation great. Yes. Wrote all the Klingon episodes. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and you know, I, I do think that's really worth pointing, is that we wouldn't have even cared about space if it wasn't for a way to make it a war. Um, yeah. Although I do want to say with Emo Dragon, I, I agree. I, I love space travel. <laughs> uh, I hate the billionaire space race. But much like the billionaire submarine thing, they could put themselves in all kinds of shoddy ass shit and shoot themselves wherever they want. I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the nobody's landed on the sun yet. Yeah, the, yeah. the British <laughs> billionaire, the British billionaire in the Titan had previously gone in the you know Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin um like thing when they sent all, all of them to space like the billionaire uh you know privatized space rocket or whatever like he was in that. He was I in was, that. And I then, wanted that. And then he went and then he went to the you know the depths and fucking imploded. But like you know. I, I, it's, it's crazy. It's not the other way around. It's like, you know, you like, you get into trouble on earth. You don't get into trouble in space, apparently. Well, you know, so here's the space. Your major concern with space is going to be the complete opposite of your concern with being in the ocean. In the ocean, you've got pressure coming in. In space, you have to make sure that you can keep yourself from going out. So it's like, uh, you know, I think I would be more, more afraid of being crushed than, than released out into space. Well, so much of space. So, all right. So, getting back to the film Interstellar, which we're here to talk about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much of space is the thinnest ever margin of just not getting killed immediately, because mm-hmm. space is trying to kill you literally all the time. And I feel like, and again, some of it is uh, because of our, our popular fictions. Uh, you know, like uh, as much as I adore Star Trek. We've just sort of like, oh, yeah, that part of it isn't as important, et cetera, et cetera. That this does a good job of showing that. It does a good job of showing, like, how thin the margins can be for, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, like look at why he shoots himself into the black hole, like, in, in the first place, right? You know, it's just like mm-hmm. literally, no, it's a matter of mass conservation. It's yeah. conservation of energy. See, she's literally Newton, not going to be able to make it to the Newton actual third planet. law. Newton's third law. <laughs> although, although that spaceship is is ill fitted for exactly a black hole, which is again like going underwater, sure. it becomes like a. Although yeah. I, I uh, guess he avoids the singularity by swinging around. And I and I also appreciate that Anne Hathaway uh, says that line pretty much, where she's like, um, she and Matthew McConaughey are talking when they're in the ship, uh, and you know she's about to go into the cryo freezer. And um, she's like, uh, she's talking about nature. And she's like, well, it's humans that are evil. And he's like, you don't think nature could be evil? And she's like, you know, nature could be terrifying and it could kill you, but not evil. And, that, and you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I really yeah. like that exchange that they had because that's like a, a science mind versus, I think, uh, like an adventurer mind, right? Like an adventurer mind is trying to conquer nature itself, whereas a scientist is is 
perfectly fine if I think they're well, not perfectly fine, but like you know, like understands that nature can kill you and doesn't see that necessarily as an evil force that needs well, to be overcome in that same way. Yeah, and, the and that's major, that frontier mindset for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The two major failures of this experiment are humanity-based. Uh, the lie from the original scientist and Matt Damon, like. Ultimately, <laughs> this movie sometimes asks us if we should even be saved. Well, exactly, because because <laughs> so that's what's one of the criticisms of this film and uh, something by people who I respect the opinion of are that it has like too much of that, like, you know, cowboys on the on the frontier mentality. when it's sort of like, well, hold on a second, maybe. Maybe we should be asking whether, like, it was a good run, everybody. <laughs> that, like, we're just going to sp spread, like, locusts to these other planets. And I was like, wow, that's a really dire way of looking at it. But And, like, you know, when we get to these other planets, can we actually, like, uh, you know, we specifically evolved in this environment right here. Would a planet, even if it does, you know, create have uh, oxygen and water on it, um, could we eat the fruit there without immediately dying? Uh, could, could we eat the meat there without immediately yeah. dying? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of uh, whatever, you know, uh, forms evolution took on that, that particular planet. Well, Which is the same problem that people got into with actual colonization. You'd go yeah, to the America suddenly yeah, and then I was just going to say, yeah. same problem when you run into like new uh, new flora and fauna like in, in different countries. Look at um, the attempted colonization from Spain and whatnot. You know, okay, suddenly they're getting like attacked by these new diseases and stuff and they're, you know, spreading... Mm -hmm diseases that they have that are, are not prevalent there and you've got invasive species <laughs> you know like sure, that's what we are <laughs> which is totally what we are absolutely 100 percent. we're the kudzu vine of uh interstellar travel <laughs> which, which makes the cool uh, through line between uh you know independence day which kind of has similar uh i, I felt like when they talk about the like, aliens are right no but he's like <laughs> but he's like he's uh no, in, in, in Independence Day, they're like, you know, th these are like locusts, right? Like, it's, it's almost like the blight. Like, yeah. they're coming down to, you know, uh, devour all our resources. But the implication is that we're kind of doing the same thing, but, but like, but slower. Like, you know no, what I mean? No, but it's like, good when we do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I definitely watch Children of Men being like, what a wonderful utopia we will have for ourselves. <laughs> oh, it's a bad thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I did find that Mark Twain quote, because I think that's what we keep coming back to, because we can pick this movie apart and be like, well, this, 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 this. Um, it was, first get your facts straight, then distort at your leisure. And I think <laughs> because this film gets so much right, what it yeah. doesn't get right is like, eh. You know, it still doesn't affect the film in a, in a tangible way, in my opinion. Well, I think, I think why why it works on a larger level is is tying it to human emotion, and human connection, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's like it would just be another like deep sci-fi thing that like four of us would care about that, uh, that otherwise. But then, by the same token, are parts of it hokey? Yes, absolutely. But if you're dealing with like you know human emotion, you get a little bit of like a hokey dispensation. I actually yeah. desperately wanted to ask all three of you this question about the human connection. Um, what the fuck about the sun, though? Mm. <laughs> no, I did, Once I did he turns like into the, Casey Affleck, is a real yeah. Quick. He, he, tur he turns him from which somehow he looks kind of like enough Timothy Chalamet and Casey Affleck have a similar enough facial structure that it's like, yeah. oh, you know what? Like I know that this is Casey Affleck, the fucking you know creepy creepy version of Ben Affleck, but like mm -hmm. it still works somehow. 
But and like, I, it's not, I also wonder if, uh, it, like, it'd be funny if they had, like, a connection where, like, Matt Damon was really the father or something. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I wanted Wow, to that's quite own, the twist. I wanted to have my own Affleck. I'm sorry. But Coop uh, is just that... like, I gotta get back to Murph, to Murph. And, like, he has two kids. Well, that, so that's just it, right? Like, okay, so you get, like, a, a tale of, like, here's how it can go very differently for two children basically growing up in the same household. Like that one is is basically the po- the post blight equivalent of a prepper, and the other one <laughs> saves humanity. <laughs> well, it's also he's very uh, is very woke because it's the daughter that he favors, right? Like he's not like my my son's gonna <laughs> well, grow up to be well, something. Well, he realized his son was a fuck up pretty early in, in yeah. the movie, and you, uh, you know he's you just like, oh, but your farm, daughter, right? You can't even go to farm. <laughs> I like that they have farm school. They're like. Dad, I did so. I, I passed all my classes in farm school, which you know I, there there are, there are like agricultural colleges, but like that is a real this, thing. Yeah, yeah, but in, but in this like farm school is like what you what most people are going to aspire to. Yeah, and he's like, Dad, I passed I passed most of my courses, but I can take the other one again. And it's like, bro, you stuck as a farmer too, like. Damn. <laughs> also, I love, I love how belittling they are to farming to be like, no one needs an engineer. Uh, what about? agricultural technology what about the sure. entire science of yeah. growing they're like fuck that except for like that an half their equipment looks like it was made in 1970 you know where it's like all right that's i guess that's I, I also that like that i i also really like that uh his whole life when he gets to the planet is, is based on a prank because the daughter was like oh he really liked that farmhouse he really liked farming you guys should uh, move him into the farm. And he gets there and the guy's like oh we heard you really liked farming and he's yeah, like, like i would be so mad at my daughter i'd be like what the fuck? Like, That's a pretty know, good long game prank, though. You you know that I hated the farm. <laughs> <laughs> but but also at the same time, that would also, you know, like like that was home, you know, uh, technically. And, and uh, you know, the, being kind of alienated and far away from uh, those that you love and coming back sort of kind of, uh, it, it's it's kind of a way to, to feel a little more grounded. Well, yeah, um, but she was also old, clowning him too. I mean, it's the old there. the old story of like Cincinnati, right? Like the uh, he he helped in Rome, like he led the army, and then he went back to his farm, and he had no you know no desire to lead to lead you know a whole nation or like an empire or anything. He just like I want to go back to my farm, but Matthew McConaughey in this very much did not want to go back to his farm. No, <laughs> no, but I feel like Nolan wanted that kind of bookend of like he said he was gonna go home. Even though it's not home, he went home. And you get that cool visual of like, oh, it's the farmhouse, but it's in this like this space cylinder. Like yeah, like a Babylon Five or something. Like I liked how like when there's like the stray baseball hit and it breaks the window, it's like because it's you know (laughs) up. Like I think that's that's kind of funny and cool. That's awesome. (laughs) It's very wholesome. But but uh, yeah, and I love the fact that you know they got the space cylinder just like in Babylon Five, which which is a great show. Um, and Elysium to Elysium, which a lot of people slept on, but the guy that made a uh, um, uh, was it? I D- haven't watched District that 17. in years. So. It's, it's good. Yeah. It's got the same design. It's got that same two thousand one design. Yeah, uh, Neil uh, 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 District Nine was it District something? Just, Neil like Blomkamp. District Nine, yeah, Neil Blomkamp, who was supposed to make one of the new Alien movies, and like that didn't happen. Yeah, he was supposed like, to make the third like, one. I was like, that's the one guy that like I would like to see do that. Yeah, uh, his storyboards but, are amazing. If y'all have not seen him, go go on to Twitter and you can find him. I guess Elysium's pretty um, interesting and is one of the only other science fictions I can think of that have that same design. That's all 2001. For yeah. sure. The, the but, one, the one, but the one criticism that I guess I would have of this movie is that like, they find like, I feel like the end is kind of, kind of a little bit tacked on. Like, I feel like, you know, it's, it's just like, the, it's very neat. Yeah. Like, 
and I find the well, I find this whole thing where he discovers, you know, uh, the, the tesseract, and he's like in there, and like that part is really cool. But then they kind of are just like, oh, and they solved it, and here's a new planet, yay! And it's like that part of it maybe to me felt a little bit like I wish I wish there was something else that had happened to get him there, right? Like he just wakes up and everything's kind of uh, fine, and like he, he's like, oh wow, they say like I blacked out, I got back here, and that, 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 that but that's part- the thing about having. Uh- exposure to the dimension of time is that like you can you, you know where the probabilities are not probabilities they're certainties so yeah. again that bothered me first time i saw it didn't bother me at all this time like mm-hmm. I, I was like oh no i get it and then also the whole like him stealing the ship and then like taking off to go to to go like meet up with her i like that part more too even though way spielbergy way spielbergy. i feel like that bit I feel like the point right where he has to, she says, go get her. Like that had to have been a studio note. I feel like too many audience members were like, but what about Anne Hathaway? And they're like, ah, tie it up. It's going to drive people crazy. See, I feel like it's still open-ended because it's like, she's there and you're like, all right, well, she's there. Does he get there? I don't know. It's That's open-ended yeah. just enough well, to have a sequel. Right. Cause, exactly. Cause yeah. I mean, with the whole thing, you know, the question is like uh, time dilation because you go through the event horizon yeah. How much time's going to pass because of the black hole? Right. Uh, how much time has slowed down with her being in the black hole? Um, Which I, this I mean, movie like, does like, very well because like, yeah, you get the whole thing. One like, of the, they... uh, the the wild things about like uh, say Gene Roddenberry's uh, 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 Andromeda, which which the the conceit of the show was a, a spaceship gets stuck in a black hole, and then uh, the Federation that it was in has cr- uh, collapsed and gets rescued by pirates. Um, and, and so, like, there's no Federation, but here's the the only Federation starship in the, in the this uh, post apocalyptic future in space. Mm. Um, not not a great show, but the but the, the 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 conceit of the whole thing is that you know uh, you know the 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 because they were stuck in the uh, uh, the you know uh, in a in a black hole's gravitational pull, time has uh, moved differently uh, on board the ship than outside the ship, and we don't know how much time has passed with Anne Hathaway getting out of the black hole. So maybe yeah. they arrived just about the same time. Maybe they didn't. We don't know. It's, it's, well, so it's, there's questions it's, exactly. I have. Exactly. It's, it's, it's open-ended. And if you're someone that needs a, like, I don't feel like it's a, it's a tidy ending at all. I think far from it. Like, I think it's sort of like, there's a lot of questions. Like, again, questions that in, on, under lesser hands, you'd be like, cool, can't wait to see the next one. <laughs> but it's like, no, no, don't make a sequel to it, though. Like, don't. Yeah. The only, the only I, I'd give them props of the sequel is that the, a tiny little bit of blight, like the algae uh, is on like someone's shoe or something like that. Oh, and they, sure, and sure. They, yeah. And they step out of the like ship or whatever. They're like, ah, and then the blight just starts spreading. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> it feels like a good compromise within what is still not tonally too abrupt with this film to be like, oh, what did happen with Anne Hathaway's character? Did she make it? Did it? Does it matter? Uh, to tack that on on the end, but just because she made it doesn't mean like it all turns out well, you know. It's like, and, and that's like I I really like so jumping off that point, the, like the time dilation of like them having to not wor- just worry about energy and conservation of energy, but like also conservation of time. That like mm-hmm. I've never seen that in a in a major motion picture in this way where they're like, oh, to go down and visit this water planet, like it's going to like take this many years uh, to do that. And then someone gets left behind, you know? And then like, he's like, yeah, it was 21 years or 23 years, whatever it was. Well, see, there's like a tick, there's like a ticking sound or something that each uh, yeah. tick when they have in the soundtrack. It's a day, like, it's a day on yeah. earth. Yeah. And, and like, 
you know, you, they get down there and it's like, oh, the what they're the person they're looking for, like, got got by those waves. And it's like, oh, no, but that happened like a minute and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy cool. because, like, it does a great job of, like, I mean, I, obviously I knew it was coming this time. But, like, first time I was like, well, the first thing I thought I was like, is that a wave? Like, is the first thing I thought when I saw first it. first thing I thought, too. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh, that's totally a wave. Like, they're they're totally boned. <laughs> I can't swim, so maybe that's it. Right. <laughs> but, like, I like that it, it, it presents different puzzles that way. Of, like, well, they need to get the, the, the you know, Anna Hathaway's character, like, runs to get the black box, right? Because if they don't have the black box, then they lose all the data, and it's all for nothing. But then they lose that other dude. What's in like, the box? What's in the box? Yeah, they, they lose... Um... God, he looks like a wish version of Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, ben Cox. It was Ben Cox. His actor's name. What if you got cast in a movie with that dude? And like, he's like, so, I saw the Interstellar episode. He would be, you know what? I would be like, I am the Tenmu version of Drew Barrymore. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Well done, well done. Um, uh, but but I like that again. Co- not just conservation of mass, conservation of energy, but conservation of time. Like and, and the fact that you never see that because it's considered too heady a concept. Because the idea is like, oh, the average public is going to go, go over their head and they're not going to relate to it. But I think I think no one does a great job of showing it because it's like, oh, they come back just on this one trip and he's like, yeah, I waited for you and I didn't think you were coming back and I slept for a while and this. And I was like, oh, damn. And and then all for like. Yeah, we lost the dude, and we didn't really get what we were looking for. And also, that planet screwed. Well, and he's like, it's crazy that he's like, it's been twenty-one years, and it's like, you, I, I have, I have to think about how insane you would go if you had to yeah. sit in a ship by yourself for twenty-one years. Well, like, he had that, one of the robots, right? No, or were they both down on the planet? He had, I think. Uh, he had one. Uh, I think Case was up on the ship with him. Yeah, and Lydia Tar was. Who's the least yeah. shabby one of the two of them? I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd love if they had replaced uh, Tars with Lydia Tar. Like that would be my ideal. And she's yeah, yeah. Talking, it was the Tar talking about how she used to be a composer and got canceled. And they're like, "Oh my god, Look, can you?" I'm going into you... hibernation. I can't stand this. <laughs> there's a there's a very good plotline in the Doctor Who, uh, Matt Smith line, uh, the girl who waited. Oh, about yeah. the couple that gets separated and the difference between time and how how it really fucking ruins Rory's brain. Um, but I also wanted to tell you to watch an anime because I will always tell people to watch an anime. Uh, <laughs> it's called Voices from a Distant Star and it does exactly what we're talking about here. Um, it has a girl who goes into space to, to, to fight because the earth is fucked up and her boyfriend friend stays. He's 15. She continues to, you know, he stays young while she ages and they write letters back and forth to each other between the time dilation. Um, it's so good, but so sad. All right. Definitely um, worth watching. So I, this is, I, I find like in this movie, like the Tesseract part, the most interesting because it feels like it's like the culmination of everything with time in it and everything with, you know, quantum gravity. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I found this clip of, uh, Matthew McConaughey talking about this movie from like more yes. recently. Um, these, these guys are kind of nerdy and they seem very into, uh, like very into this movie but the 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 alternative that you could like like, uh get with matthew mcconaughey talking about this scene is with lex friedman and i fucking can't stand that guy so i picked this one (laughs) the robot did book it could that that robot for for being a wall that robot can move man i don't even know why they bothered walking just go out on him to begin with yeah just just ask your ass over there 
Didn't it was save like the, the other... Eagles in Lord of the Rings. Didn't <laughs> right. save. It's didn't save the other guy. Did not do him. Like she, like he let the other guy die, but he rescued her. Yeah. I mean, given the same choice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Interstellar. Peace tell, tell me, tell me your thoughts on Interstellar. It's been it's been six years since it came out. I think it's one of the greatest films ever. I also think it's Christopher Nolan's best film. I, there, there's, I, I feel like it's a divisive movie in some ways, and the people, the people that love Interstellar, like like me, they really love it. Love it. <laughs> they really love it. What's your, what are your thoughts now, six years later? Well, one, what you said, there are people, probably now more than any film. I've done the last two years. It's interstellar lovers that come up to me and they don't just come up and go, I love the movie. They stop me, put two hands on my shoulders and look me in the eye and go, no, dude, interstellar. I'm like, yeah, man, I love to. They're like, no, dude, listen to me. Change my life. Man. I've seen it 19 times. <laughs> Whoa. So, you know, I need to ask them, you tell me what it's about because uh, you know, we, we try to figure that out all the way through. Um, Look, I love the film. I, 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 working with Chris is, you're going to be in an epic film working with Noah. He just thinks, he goes, you know, creates these, he creates the rules to these worlds. Like he created the rules. My deal with him is I would always go to him and go, okay, as the pilot, as the head astronaut here, I need to know the rules of how time works in this scene, stuff I would know. And a lot of times he'd go, I go, what is it? And he'd go, I don't know. I go, what do you mean you don't know? You wrote it. He goes, I just wrote it. Let me think about it. He'd always come back like four, five, four, five six days later with an answer because uh, he had gone away and thought about it. Um, but he creates the whole constructs of these worlds that have their own set of rules. And then you have to watch, do you follow the rules that he set up in that world throughout? That's my job as the actor to go, well, am I following the rules of this world where he's created a completely new set of rules throughout the journey of my, of my character? So I don't look like the ass someone breaking the rules and then there's a break in the story. That's a writer's job too. Writers sit around and go, well, you, you, you established this. You can't do that thing because that would abolish the truth of what we already established. Um, so yeah, I, I love the movie too, but I really love the reaction. You're right. It's a, the most people now that come up to me probably is for that movie that do the old shoulder grab where they turn me around face to face and go interstellar. And I go, yeah. And they go, no dude, interstellar. <laughs> They like yell it at me. <laughs> yes. So you tell me, what do you love about it? Oh man, I. You know what? You, you said it. So Nolan, right? He he's always fucking with time. Okay, and he creates these worlds, and they have rules. And I think the fun part in all of his films are are the rules being followed at all times. Right? It's like you know, you watch the film, and you watch it again. And then, like, by the fifth or sixth time, you're now on, like, deep, deep Reddit threads about where the rules may have potentially been violated, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I think to do those deep dives on these films is amazing. The reason I, I love Interstellar, I think it was, it's, it's like, beautifully shot, obviously. Um, you know, it's about, it's about love. Um, I think I had, my, I had my son in 2014, uh, the year the movie came out, I had my second son in 2016. I think the this it, it because of that it hits a little bit different for me, and and I I get emotional watching that film. Can you please though, 
from your perspective, the last question, because I know you got a roll, but the test rack scene. What the fuck's going on there? Test rack scene where I'm in, in the four dimensional cube yeah, and you're pulling well, on the strings. So, number one, that's a life size set. I'm suspended 60 feet off a concrete floor. And the test rack, it's life size. So, the, I'm having to really, they're hard to move and bang. And, um, in post-production, they put in the infinite reflections of how far it went. Um, you know, what am I trying to do there? I'm trying to be heard. <laughs> I'm trying to let get my daughter to hear me, to see me, but I'm unheard. I'm trying to reach out, but but I can't be felt. Um, it's a, uh, um, I'm, you know, Cooper's in jail, basically, at that point, uh, for me. Um and then also trying to figure a way back. What are clues? I think in that scene is where he sees clues that his daughter, what she knew or didn't know. Um, so yeah, it is a love story. And that's one of Chris, Chris Nolan's best gifts. Is he, he, it's very hard to tell an epic tale that has so much sci-fi extravaganza that you can just go to for the visual candy and go, wow. But also get to come in and get a personal sci-fi extravagant where you give a damn. About <laughs> I was gonna say you got her name. It can make you year. think about your own birth, your own child, and what if you missed that much time in their life and had to catch back up with it? What would that be like? Um, so that's when he, when Chris does his work the best. That's what he does well as he gets through the to the head through the heart. But also always fun for the for the for the mind watching his movies because they're just so extravagant and the sets are so wild and the scale. His scale is so extremely epic. The production design is pretty astounding in this. Like, I mean, everything, like, you know, we were talking, like, right before that about, like, the robots, right, and how they're, like, no, they, they're modular. It's all, like, kind of, like, four-dimensional shapes, and they stretch out. They can grab things and do things, but they also kind of, like, chillax when it's time to navigate. You know? Yeah, they, like, <laughs> fold in like like an R2-D2. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, right into the part of the cockpit. They're, like, yeah, made yeah. by Ikea. <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they refuse to use any green screens on this, by the way. So all the production design is actually like the, you know, the the places like whether it's the spaceships that they built life, life size, yeah. the Tesseract or like, you know, going to Iceland or whatever to film the cold planet. I think that shows. I mean, and we just talked about that with Independence Day, right? How the most miniatures like ever of like any of like, yeah. film. Like, Again, and this goes back to like just me constantly dissing on CGI, I guess, of just like how it just looks like weightless and, and plastic, even when it's done well. Like, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I don't hate to say it because I, I feel like people are like, no, no, it's fine to CGI it. No, don't. <laughs> don't, don't do that. That's like saying fix it in post. Yeah, I exactly. Exactly. Actually, oh. thinking about that scene, I'm so surprised that the scene with the, the Tesseract is a real set because that when, we, when I was watching it, both the person and myself were like, Jesus, he's really interacting so well with his environment for what yeah. A is like an absurd environment you have nothing to pull on. Like, oh, imagine you're inside a four dimensional uh, thing affecting time and space. Um, right. But I also, I think the choice of McConaughey is very important to why that works is because you want somebody who A can be a space cowboy and B has definitely taken ketamine. <laughs> hey you know he says some people have called me the space cowboy yeah i mean remember when he got arrested for playing bongos naked in a trailer park 
my, my favorite my, my first line that i thought of when i was seeing this is uh that's what i love about these wave planets man you get older i stay the same age all right mm-hmm. all right all right all right oh all you right. Just got a crib for my uh my review huh no I, I posted that like the second i saw this movie in the chat you can't <laughs> feel my i i literally have it as a facebook status i i, I this would have made such a great clip until this little internecine battle started oh <laughs> no i would never steal your jokes they're not funny enough for me to steal oh, oh. oh. first first with ben now with me you're gonna get you know uh, dunked. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're entering uh, the anyways, i agree the tesseract scene is incredible and yeah. it's hard to believe that that's largely practical effects um but mm-hmm. i think that again as someone that you know uh, recreationally researches quantum theory <laughs> the, the prisoner it is nice to see a representation of like yeah you know that i buy that like that is like yeah. you would need to have some modeling of some kind to be able for your brain to understand what it was you're looking at yeah. and and in that of course that'd be factored in and i think it's most notable that like the entire time through this entire film like there's no alien life forms right it's oh it's just us like it's just us and it's just him uh, literally affecting his own timeline the way that he can which is gravity and i think that it gives you all the clues early on but how in the world would you ever guess that to begin with because you're yeah, like yeah it's it's great I don't a second it's a ghost movie yeah it's a great second watch <laughs> like 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 because right. yes. they um the dialogue is so well written that yeah. that it's really hard to pick up like like i mean a lot of times i pick stuff up on the first watch that a lot of people miss and you're just uh, built different yeah yeah uh, and, and this is not one of those movies like, like uh oh so, yeah, so yeah 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 I, I i really do appreciate that uh uh it does not happen often and i always like it when it does um so i wanted i wanted to uh this is this is a clip of them building the tesseract set nice because nice. i don't know how the conversation is gonna roll back around to that <laughs> probably won't Go right in we would need a tesseract ourselves to make it roll back to that oh <laughs> well you can't travel back in time i learned that so I can't just, you know, go back to a few a few, a few minutes ago. Doing all kinds of just sort of blue sky research into different ways of representing time as a spatial dimension. Uh, we did a little explorations in, in that regard before we arrived at the, uh, the final rule set, which was really very late in the day. It was really just to the point where it would be possible to, to build something that we could, we could shoot in. Yeah, that's why it was intense, because it was challenging design-wise, and then practically it was challenging, getting everyone used to the fact that we're going to build some stretch furniture, and the room we're going to stretch in XYZ axis. We built, I think, 80 or 100 by 60. It was a big old set. But then there was a long, arduous process of recording the shapes of every single object in the room, and then reproducing it digitally. And then from those shapes, generating these extruded shapes, which would connect the versions of the rooms together. And then what we had to do is we had to export that out as uh, stuff that Nathan's art department could actually build physically. We were thinking we just paint them. We ended up printing those spectrums and wrapping them. We ended up with this enormous set of elements that stretched. If you have light coming through a window or one plane, you, know, you have the landscape from the inside, and then on this side, you have a room that's lit. But how do you like that room? Because you're looking through the glass. The Tesseract represents something that is extremely tactile, extremely tangible, and extremely real. And for me, also, the lighting approach was very much motivated by that same thought. As this, this room is reproduced endlessly in that, in that space, you also have 
the same windows reproduced endlessly in space. And I just really did my best to make this feel real in that way, to make the light directions and the, and the light spill and the ambient light, to, to make it feel as if it was all coming from those windows. Every single interior surface had a projection running on it. So in the last few weeks, I think we had something like maybe 15 projectors running simultaneously. And there were some scenes which were just entirely lit by the projectors. We were light using the projectors as a light source. So the Tesseract for me was probably the three longest weeks of my stunt career. Chris, he was like, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure where he's gonna go at the moment because we're still working it out. He's like, but be prepared to, to fly him anywhere within this box. <laughs> it was a lot of wire work. It was a lot of time hanging in a harness. Matthew spent hours in that harness. His stunt double would rehearse everything. We'd have it all dialed in. We'd bring Matthew over. We'd show him the action and what he would have to do. And he'd be like, okay, put me up. So we'd put him on, take him up, and, and he'd replicate it again and again when they needed it. And it worked really well. Matthew certainly found that uh, to be extremely helpful to his performance because he could understand, finally, what in the script had been extremely abstract as a concept. He was suddenly able to actually see how he could interact with, with that environment. It became quite important. Christopher and his brother, he wrote completely new rules for uh, fourth dimensions, fifth dimension, space-time, and then, you know, following through on those rules in our final third act of this world that he's created that is incredibly abstract. And in the center of it, though, the heartbeat is a, uh, a father faced with the fact that his daughter, 30 years older than when he left her, thinks that he abandoned her. Love is space-time. Love is that fifth dimension. Love is that thing that travels through time, forward, backwards, up and down. You're dealing with the most incredibly weighty scientific theories and the most abstract of science, basically, but you're carried through it by the amazing love that there is between Cooper and his daughter. What we've tried to do is balance emotional clarity with the challenging nature of the geometry of, of the sequence. And for me, refining the sequence was all about the emotional side. And then as we came to actually execute it, that's where the mathematical design of these concepts and how we were going to portray this rather fantastic geometry, that became the whole focus of, of that part of the process. Well, yeah, and love is like literally the inflection point that allows this to happen, which actually makes sense if you think about uh, human consciousness. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of it, <laughs> more speculative quantum theory that says that that kind of stuff's happening all the time anyway, and that human consciousness uses that as a, its own form of a language. I, I think theoretical theorist John Lennon kind of come up with that, right? <laughs> no, but what, what is like dreaming, if not, you know, uh, connecting to other people through these points where, uh, at least in your own consciousness, you're yeah. kind of reevaluating, re um, you know, an endless spectrum of, uh, you know, moments because it is or, mapped. It's just it's yeah. it's not mapped in a way that you would think of as being like you know like a star map, but it but it is it, it is mapped and like again there's a and there's a whole thing about multiversal theory with that. Well, as I was I was I was gonna say uh, and finally new rule. If you're gonna tell me <laughs> that the fifth dimension is love, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but let me let's just do a reset here. Holy thing, crap, dude. Okay, holy crap, that was amazing. Like that that's like that's. Like the argument for Christopher Nolan right right there, where it's like, yeah, yeah. we're going to do this like a 1940s epic. We're going to build the thing. <laughs> Which is like, 
what? And they they won the Academy Award and uh, BAFTA for Best Visual Effects, and you can yeah. see, like, wow, very much so. Uh, somebody in the yeah, comments, uh, Abby Garside said, theme park ride now, please. And I am also, like, strap me in. I want to go to that. It was so grandiose. I, uh, I really, awesome. I really like, I really like when it clicks in his brain and then he starts going through the, um, like the actual continuum yeah. of it, like the yeah. endless, uh, you know, versions of her room as moments in time. And he's like, I, I get it. And he's like, but he, you can tell like he, he lets himself go at that moment. And it's yeah. almost like Matthew McConaughey himself is like, you know, in, in this moment of realization. And he's like, you know, take me through this fucking this box that you designed. Well, he's got a good approach too. And this, you show this in the earlier clip for us of like, he's like, well, you tell me what it means, man. Like, and it was just like, oh no, that's great. Cause that way he doesn't have to like, like explain his advanced theories. He just gets to like, be like, yeah. I do joke about the like takes ketamine, but he is the kind of person who is connecting to that kind of information on his sure. daily. So when you say to an actor, you know, in the scene, I need you to draw from things in your life. This is a really rich person for a scene that is peculiar and could be so stale. And it is it could the go crux really of our movie. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, no, you're 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 totally right. Like if you get the wrong uh actor in there, like be bad. I mean, just imagine <laughs> Tom Cruise. Yeah, he'd do the wire work well, but yes. <laughs> well, Matthew McConaughey's body language throughout this whole movie and throughout his whole like is he's very like uh, a lot of like his his tensions right his moment of tension he's always doing like the football coach squat and he's doing that as he's trying to get his daughter's attention like he's he's like you go kind of leaning over like this he's like come on come on come on like you know trying to do that it's this like frantic frenetic moment of tension and then the second he lets that go and he's able to just kind of be like wait a second i get it this is an endless continuum of space and time coming together to a physical dimension you're like it fully releases the tension i think that yeah. I, I think that's why I, I appreciated it so much because it's like Oh my guy's flying now! Like, <laughs> yeah, and this well, movie starts like twenty, forty-five minutes of you know blight, but then it's two hours of like, <gasps> yeah. it's so tense, and that's the first time yeah. you're actually safe. Yeah, you're right because it's it's. Like, I mean, talk about a theme park ride, right? Like, it's a total roller coaster for like the entire time before, and then you're just like, oh. Okay, <laughs> and, and there's also like like complete story arcs that in in the movie too. So so like yeah. you know, uh, which is kind of nice because uh, it, it makes the uh, the time seem to go by because like each each problem becomes its own little story arc, and uh, it does actually build up to something, which is nice. Well, uh, and, and each of those worlds is like a completely different story. Like, I mean, yes. and, and you could make a movie out of the entire, like she, you know, she crashes on that wave planet, but like, there's so many questions you could have about that wave planet. And is, is there some kind of technology that if they were ready for something like that, they could have harnessed or something. And yeah, I mean, not the Matthew Titan. McConaughey have pulled out a surfboard. <laughs> they get, they get, <laughs> no, they, they, they get, they get the fucking ocean gate guy to build the Titan, but for that planet. Um, but like, no, but, so th but then there's the whole thing about, um, you know, Matt Damon's been in space for like a really long time by himself and the isolation of that, you know, like he doesn't have to deal with, um, mm -hmm. well, he, he hasn't had the benefit of what Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway and, uh, you know, the, the old guy they left behind and, <laughs> and the guy that got, you know, taken by the waves, like they all have a sense of community. They're all talking. It's not like, it's not even just one and two people, right? Like it's, it's all of them together. He hasn't had that. And he's stranded on this fucking ice planet and not willing to like, you know, just let his fucking resources uh, dry up. That's he just, killed his robot friend. Yeah. Well, Kyle, that, that robot friend probably got really annoying. Like, that's the one person you talk to, and <laughs> how very much you know. Yeah. Uh, is it Ren and Stimpy that 
that first said space madness. Space madness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a real thing though. But Matt Damon, like as as the villain in that, is still a sympathetic character for the like for the fact that uh he's been in that isolation, right? Like he's he's not acting from an irrational place. He's acting from a, a place of self-preservation. And you can assume that I mean he's probably kind of a dick because he knew the entire time that you know they were gonna be stuck out there and they were uh have to spread their seed on a new planet or whatever but like <laughs> that was always the the purpose of it but like he's still there's not he's not like an evil character he's a character acting in self-preservation we just want matthew mcconaughey to survive well i think that's <laughs> the whole story of us as as a humanity like yes. we wind up on another planet we'll probably kill something to be there and we'll do it exactly the way that matt damon did it we won't really want to look. We'll turn away. We'll equivocate, but we will still try to do it. And we're actively doing it right now. Yeah, I, I just, I, and it's—I I just gotta say too that if you would have, you know, told me twenty years ago that <laughs> Matt McConaughey was like as good of a uh, was was as good of a dramatic actor as he's become, like I would be shocked because he's first of all he's pretty much ravaged his body uh, in that in that very method actor way. But between like you know like this and like you know, True Detective, D- Dallas Buyers Club, all that stuff. Yeah, like Dallas Buyers Club. I like watching him in that movie. I'm worried. Like I felt worried that he was going to die soon. Like no, not, yeah, not he, he looked like he's yeah dead. of like malnutrition. Like it was yeah. like the machinist with Bell. Yeah. You're like, I'm Absolutely. worried. To the point that's like, worried. no, you're literally risking your health for this role and to basically prove that you're like, I got serious. it. <laughs> to play this role, man, I got AIDS. What can I tell you? <laughs> when it's like, oh, because he wanted to be known as something more than just like, you know, the pretty himbo. Yeah, he, yeah. he needed the reconnaissance. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's pretty astounding. And, and uh, you know, it's something that not everyone would do. Like, you know, be like, hey, that's, that's a good beat. <laughs> Yeah, well, when you think of Nolan, you think of like, oh, Guy Pierce, like that casting choice and memento yeah. makes sense. But then sure. you're like, McConaughey, I'm not yeah, sure. I, like, I don't know. Yeah, he, uh, he he works with he works with Matt Damon a lot, and and I appreciate that he's got like Matt Damon into some positions. I think like this movie specifically, like uh, Matt Damon kind of playing like an asshole. That's not like the lead character. That's whatever. Yeah. Like is acting fully in self preservation as like this guy stranded in space. Like that's a role that I don't think a lot of directors would have the confidence to put Matt Damon in because he's kind of like a, a leading. I mean, I guess it starts. He's more of a leading of, man, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, that's how we get, end up getting stuck with the same 20 people playing the same roles over yeah. and over again. Well, now, yeah. now I guess they just know that they can strand Matt, uh, Matt Damon in space. Like every, yeah, he's every getting typecast. Yeah. <laughs> it's his Sean Bean thing. Like, you know, he's going to die at the end of every film. Well, just put Matt Damon in. Is somebody stranded yeah. in space? Somebody stranded in space? Call yeah, they're, giving, they're like giving him a role. They're like, listen, we need a middle-aged uh, father. He's going to, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's really smart. And he's like, he's like, oh, so this, this role is not in space. Oh, we forgot to tell you. Halfway through the movie, you get stranded in space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But Downsizing. You're going to be really to... small, but we're going to strand you right. in inner space. No, um, but sorry. but but it's but it's Ben Affleck that uh, that rescues you, and he's like, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. Ben Affleck's going to rescue me. Don't worry, it's a zoo on Mars. <laughs> um. I- I so I love the Tesseract. I, I love the representation of it. Uh, I, I'm still completely blown away. That's all like physical effects, but it, but it works. Like it's it's insane to do it that way. But like I'm glad he did. And 
that's risky. It's risky to do that, and you have to like trust your people when you're when you're have a vision, and your vision is literally like, no, we're gonna make this thing that does not exist with within traditional space. Because because if Spielberg did it, it would have came out like um uh it would have been all CG'd, and it would have looked like uh something Steve Ditko would have drew back in the '60s for Doctor Strange. Right, right, right. <laughs> so a little bit like art of like AI, the film that Spielberg did wind up making. Yeah. Yeah. It's also it's kind of fascinating to me. It's kind of fascinating to me that like a couple of years later, uh, Marvel has the you know they they had the Tesseract as one of like the Infinity yeah. Stone things where you know she's like living in there because they had to sacrifice her or whatever. Uh, completely Which different. They, kind just, of... they just didn't want to call it the Cosmic Cube too. Yeah, like because Cosmic Cube is like what? <laughs> but that's yeah. what it was. I'm like I'm like I can't remember the Tesseract. Come on, give me the Cosmic <laughs> Cube any day. Basically, like a, a cool Tesseract is like any kind of higher form of technology word. Is yeah. that the agreed um, upon? I mean, it's just kind of, it's a cube. It's a yeah. cube like that. Uh, I, I mean, I guess when you're using it. They chicken it, out like, of calling it the cosmic cube. Oh, oh no, I mean the, co- the word tesseract the word outside tesseract. of that. I think it just means like higher form of technology. So like. Yeah. It's just sort of like a, it's a MacGuffin. Right? You know, I, so I, I'm worried to make fun of things because I made fun of unobtainium. But then I found <laughs> out that it's really what scientists call things. And I'm like, fuck me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scientists yeah, are nerds. Somehow like, like, worse. Seriously, mm-hmm. are, are absolutely dweebs. I, I love my scientist friends. Don't get me wrong. Um, uh, shout, shout out to them Thank you, because, Stevie. like, like uh, uh, you know, if you're trying to do something creative, you can call them up and be like, "Hey, uh, I'm, I'm trying to write this book where where the spaceship does this maneuver like this, like uh, like fighter pilots would," and they'd be like, "You can't do that because it's in space." Like, no, 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 it's for Star Trek, and they'd be like, "Give us 24 <laughs> hours, we will explain <laughs> to you how it's done," and, and you know. <laughs> That that's just how scientists are, which is fantastic. You know, you, you mm-hmm. if you're doing it for the creative process and you get to let them know and they're just like, like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out for you. Well, yeah. so this is this is the, it, it was answered in of... the comments, but it, for the audio listeners, it's it's a 40 cube. And I was I was waiting for Andy to finish before saying that. But it's <laughs> but what I love is if you look up just Tesseract, people also ask, what is so special about a Tesseract? Which I think is hilarious. Because <laughs> that's um, the internet right there. I, I yeah well speaking of the scientist part of it this is this is uh, the clip of uh, Kip Thorne, um, this is the clip of uh, Kip Thorne talking about um, whether time travel is possible. I kind of like went into a rabbit hole of watching videos of him talking about like relativity and whether time travel is possible and black holes and wormholes and like the yeah, different. There's like a lifetime of work of him talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So. He I, he's kind of wanted to. It seems like he wanted to be almost like a Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of figure where he's like the popularizer of science, but. Yeah, I mean, well, he'll go, he'll go well down Neil deGrasse Tyson, hold, hold, hold the phone. All right, Neil deGrasse Tyson though is trying to do a Carl Sagan because Carl Correct. Sagan's the OG of all that stuff. And he, just, just you know, this guy was. They're friendly. all just trying to be Mister Wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in, in the use of time travel wormholes theoretically to probe the nature of reality. We would like to probe the laws of physics through a combination of experiment and theory. But there are areas where the experiment is so challenging, we can't do it with the human technology in this century. And wormholes and some aspects of the nature of space are in that domain, predictions about them. And so thought experiments Einstein taught us are a powerful tool for probing the nature of physics. You just ask, could in principle, and our infinitely advanced civilization, could such a civilization build a wormhole to travel from here to another galaxy? And when you ask that kind of a question, 
you then go into the laws of physics and you probe it mathematically, geometrically in the laws of physics, and it teaches you a lot about the nature of space and time. How, how might that work uh, conceptually from the laws of physics? The, the warping of space in a wormhole uh, is so intense. It's, it's like the warping of space in a stretched uh, rubber mem membrane. Uh, it wants to shrink. And the wormhole wants to shrink and pinch off. So when you try to travel through, you die. And so can, can they be held open? How do you hold them open? And so we then, in this way, discovered intimate relationship between the nature of energy and tensions on one hand and uh, the nature of warping of space on another hand. Now, how does that relate to time and the possibility of time travel in either direction to the future or to the past? If you have wormholes, then if you move the mouth of one wormhole uh, down near the surface of a black hole, time flows very slowly there compared to the rate of flow of time back here on Earth. Uh, and so uh, the two mouths get out of sync. The mouth of the wormhole sits down near the surface of the black hole and it sits there uh, with only a few hours passing while up here on Earth a billion years pass. And so we on Earth can then go down through the wormhole and can come out near the surface of the black hole a billion years earlier. <laughs> we can then come out and go back up in the, the external universe a billion years earlier than we went down. So if you have wormholes, there's a natural way to make time machine. So this was wonderful when, when uh, my students and I discovered this. I was very excited. Uh, but then probing more deeply and talking with uh, other colleagues, uh, uh, I was forced to realize that there's a universal mechanism that when you're trying to turn a wormhole into a time machine in this way, a universal mechanism that always creates a violent explosion that very likely destroys the wormhole right at the moment when it begins uh, to make time travel possible. And so time machines, if you try to create them, appear to self-destruct. We simply do not have the understanding of the laws of physics to be able to speculate about that quantitatively yet. We have to have a much deeper understanding of quantum gravity to get the answer, whether that's possible. Yep. I like how, uh, I, like, I imagine just uh, Elon Musk being like, self-destruct, you say? Well, I, I will put resources. Who, who's my beer? <laughs> will, well, the, will the wormhole lock itself and set itself on fire? Yes. I'm in there. I'm working on this technology. <laughs> What's so crazy about what he's describing is that he is it's it's observable to us to a point. Like right. The whole concept of gravity, like gravity inside of black hole is infinite. And we know that it affects time. Like we could even see it with our GPS. So GPS satellites go outside our orbit and they're not as close to the center of the earth. And so gravity isn't affecting them as much. Yeah, we, we, can we use... also saw this with uh, Mark Kelly and his twin brother. That's right. Did, yeah. did you hear about this? Um, uh, uh, they they uh, sent up his brother uh, to the International Space Station for a year and observed the differences, and his brother did not age as much as Mark Kelly did. Oh, my God. 
Well, that's what politics will do to you. That's hey, everybody. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to say, we, we use Einstein's theory of relativity to to make the formula to correct our GPS satellites so that they're at the same time because we could observe that gravity is affecting the, the time we experience in orbit. So it's like, oh, my God, he's he's so close to not sounding insane, and he's mm-hmm. talking about time travel. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, that's... I, that that's speculative quantum theory. I mean, that's like in a nutshell. And and honestly, like when you get with time dilation, like it it is time travel. It's just only in one direction. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Well, but the idea of like Stargate episode about that, you so, can't observe it. You we do not we do not have the tools to observe it. And and fundamentally, our consciousness would not be able to understand it. Is the problem. So, so therefore, we, there's this idea that like it's interpreted in these other ways and and and, and through these other functions that uh, maybe someone ascribed to, you know, magic or whatever. Just like how they thought phlogiston was an element that caused combustion before they understood the principles of combustion in that same way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I I find it I find it fascinating his thing when he talks about relativity. He's like, uh, it's actually not as much that time is relative; it's that time is personal. So it's your own sense of like your own consciousness and the speed in which um, <laughs> the speed. He's in just which, ornery. That's yeah. why. <laughs> no, but like the, the speed in which uh, time goes is personal to you, right? Like as yeah. in like uh, you're interpreting it a certain way. That your perception of it, yeah. uh, your mm-hmm. interpretation of it, so on and so on. And it's going to be unique in the interpretation of any consciousness that's around. Therefore, as an observable metric. Uh, you know, we just la- we lack the capacity to be able to rationalize it in any objective way. Mm-hmm. Well, some of us haven't even figured out how to get places on time to start with. So, you know what I mean? Time hey, travel. Time travel you know. would be lovely. <laughs> you mean I can't time just... Travel. I'd like to time travel when my alarm went off and not hit the snooze button. Go, 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 go. I can't just fly around the earth backwards really fast. <laughs> Damn it. The more, the more, the more you run backwards, the more time moves backwards. Like it's uh, the for the Forrest Gump scene where he's running, but it's just or, or in the scene of the Superman where Superman <laughs> yeah, like, does that exact thing, or like Superman three. Which one? Yeah. Is it? No, it was the first one. It was the first the one. The Donner is it the first one. Yeah, the Donner one. Lois Lane dies, and, and Superman yeah. gets mad, flies around the uh, Earth. A Donner party eats everybody. Yes, it's a Donner one. It's <laughs> your Donner, head of the Donner party. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the, by the way, still my favorite Superman. Yeah, I'm so glad he made movies after that trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, I'm glad they didn't need him. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, this is a long movie for sure, but I, it I think it's it, long. It, it, it exactly. I think it justifies it. I think it's it's, yeah. it's a you know what else is a long movie? Fucking 2001. And it's like one of my favorite movies of all time. It ain't short. I mean, shorter than drive my car, but. <laughs> I mean, interesting. It's, it's uh, it's shorter than it's this movie by like you know half an hour, but so, I mean that's not like you know nitpicking to anything with it. But like it is, I mean it is a long movie, but this movie really like this movie really extends out the. But you know it doesn't feel because time is relative. You know well, what also, I mean? Like, there's no fact in this relative. Movie. Like, like some movies is... feel like they take a really long time, and they're not as long because time is relative. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, oh, <laughs> like Seven Samurai, uh, this movie, or uh, Until the End of the World, like this movie has like, uh, you know, enough uh, going on with it that that uh, you know each section of the movie kind of wraps up nicely and moves uh, moves us into the mm-hmm. next part. Yeah. Um. So so it is. It, it works that way. It's it's there's a there's a flow to it that makes you uh it, it you know there's no lag there's no there's no fat there's no like uh they if they actually took the time to explain the blight that would have completely destroyed this movie. 
Well, then it's then it's about the blight, right? And, yeah. and also, I like that they're like, oh, well, we all know that the space race was, uh, you know, largely contrived of like, like, and like that whole like that's a crazy scene because there's entire movies that would be like based around that, right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. It's like, whoa, they're redacting history in this way, but it's for the overall greater good. And there's a cool question of, okay, well, if you lie to the people to protect them, to you know, blah blah blah, et cetera, et cetera. Different movie, but it's just a thrown off like you know little like minute and a half exchange at a parent teacher's conference i think uh <laughs> i think christopher nolan kind of does come to the conclusion that it might not be the worst thing to lie to people though about because like the, the secret secret nasa does uh in the end you know triumph with yeah. his with his daughter like <laughs> yeah I, that must have been an awkward thing though like explaining like hey by the way i'm i work for secret nasa not like snasa really we call it snasa uh, I work for Secret NASA, and uh, the moon landing did happen. And actually, we have to—we have like 20 minutes. We have to get onto this other planet, all like as many of us as we can. Uh, we have to leave, and they're like, "Wait, we did land on the moon." And she's like, "There's no time to discuss that whole." Yeah, thing. I there's literally no time to explain. <laughs> well, Just get in the capsule. <laughs> even at the beginning, when they find Secret NASA, he's like, "We're the best kept secret. How'd you find us?" And then they go and show him the rest of the lab. There's like 125 people who administratively work in that building. Yeah. Like, how do we find you? There's a well, town that works here. It's a here. mountain. It's a mountain. It's the same mountain that they filmed Stargate in. Um, uh, yeah, no, no. It's it's. Uh, and the weird thing is the president in Stargate, the guy who's the president of the United States, is in space, you know, in secret NASA in this movie. It's it's weird. But but uh, I digress about Stargate. Um, uh, the, but the, the, it's a Cheyenne Mountain, which is actually complex in uh, Colorado, I believe. Um, you know, an actual base. And, and they, they, you see the entrance very briefly. Uh, and I was just long enough for me to go, oh, I know that place because of Stargate. And, uh, uh, it, you know, so it's like, okay. So they built secret NASA inside this mountain. So so that makes sense. And they all live inside the mountain where they have their own uh, kind of ecosystem to be able to live. That that makes perfect sense. No Don S. Davis, unfortunately. No, sadly. R.I.P., by the way. R.I.P. to a legend, yeah. Uh, I, it's, yeah, I mean, like, it, I, th- I think you can explain away some of that, uh, not what Andy just said, but the whole, like, where these people, like, buy food and, like, interact with other human beings and so on and so with, like, nobody cares. Nobody cares <laughs> yeah, because, nobody like, cares. they got, like, again, space travel has, like, been retconned. That, like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that was largely just as, you know, which, unfortunately, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about, like, you know, lots of. Not not the audience for this show, of course, but like online leftists and and liberals that like are just so concerned with like uh, domestic issues and 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 you know social policy of which I'm concerned with as well that they think it's it's an either or proposition for space travel that like take that to the nth degree they would never conceive of the fact that anyone would be into space travel because they've been told it doesn't exist more or less or that it's a contrivance for uh, you know some uh, para social diplomatic function of uh, the industrial revolution. <laughs> well, I, I do. I feel like I want to put a caveat there. I do feel like there's a decent fear that if we let the plebeians think that interstellar space travel and rehabilitating an alternative planet is, is really even possible. They'll continue to trash the one right. we're on like the fucking idiots that they are. Let's go nuts. Yeah. Who cares about, I'm not, th- I'm going to throw away all my recycling in the garbage can. Yeah. I'm going to pour all the grease, bacon grease down the sink. All yeah. Right. It's, it's pretty dire. And this is really just a thought. Uh, and I think that yeah. that's probably what triggers that, that, uh, you know, it's unrealistic, you know, but I, I, I can, I can see that. I get it. And 
look, there's always a danger that, uh, like, when you get people involved, the, the baser nature of people is, is not temporarily embarrassed geniuses. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just isn't. And this is, again, something that we, the, the, the left especially, doesn't seem to realize. It's like, no, no. Not everyone isn't a good person by default unless they're a billionaire. That's not true. There's plenty of people that are like working class people that are racist idiots. And 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 like that's a very real thing. There's plenty of people that believe exactly your political beliefs and are some of the worst people ever. And so in that same token, if you t if you look at like things from a pure uh, altruism perspective and like, you know, uh, what I suppose is like a futurist philosophy, mm -hmm. what do you tell the populace? Well, it's it's most likely that the populace would be lied to. Because you don't you don't want them involved. You don't yeah. think we're being lied to now, do you? I don't. I'll, 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 never, and, never. That and that's never the, yeah. that's the point of the the um, percentage of truth setting on cars that is so compelling. <laughs> is that yeah? You know what? Ten percent is kind of necessary for survival. And even when he does dial it back, he still leaves five percent. That and that's something that's something that I have a problem with with um, with started with like the you know the, the diplomatic leaks and whatnot that people think that oh all information should be free no no it shouldn't it really shouldn't you don't want that you say you want that and and you don't want that and you don't know what to do with it <laughs> like and and again this this elevation of the individual that we've done through like social media and, and conditioning in that way everyone thinks that oh if, if every like there's this idea oh if people just had the facts then they would believe the way i believe no not true <laughs> none of that is true and so Again, interesting. That's kind of a throwaway point, just to establish, like you know, the the, the grounding of the reality that he's coming from. But it makes sense that it would have to be a secret NASA if you're in a situation like this. Because mm -hmm. if no, if nothing else, if you have a disinterested populace that has basically given up on dreaming and given up on like okra, <laughs> apparently it's the last year for okra. I don't really care about okra. So it doesn't really affect me that much. But like, you're gonna have people like that are adopting a decimal philosophy, which is, which is that none of that matters. I'm just trying to put food on the table. Oh, hundred percent. It's kind of crazy that that again. That's enough to carry like a movie or two, right? I and mean, but that's just like oh, this is mm -hmm. establishing criteria before we. Get into this other stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, just talking about the the world of the blight, you have to assume that like there there isn't even the capacity for that so we know there are no marines because he says that there isn't even the capacity for war between countries over the remaining amounts of food because they can't even feed an army to fight each other like it's dire yeah that's that's pretty like again throwaway line <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's like whoa yeah. <laughs> but it's also a little bit like Shaun of the dead where like when we hit these like mass extinction huge huge events we're not really interested in fully believing it right away. Like we kind of want to go around and be like, it's okay. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, we do love to lie to ourselves. The, the human uh, the hunger for uh, complete self-deception is nearly bottomless. Yeah. But I think that that's why, like Andy, you said it, there's these little tiny stories that could be their own things, yeah. but they wind up just fitting into this and it makes the movie have beats that feel complete. So two hours and 45 minutes feels like I've read a, I've read Skeleton Crew. I got a bunch of little stories and I'm full. Versus right. like a Marvel movie where I'm like, oh my God, will they get the whatever the fuck and kill whoever the hell already? <laughs> Come on, I got to roast in the oven. <laughs> oh my God, is the hero gonna win? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's... 
it's one of the reasons why this this film works a lot. And, and again, this is anything heady and long with a lot of details. Like, oh, we'll work multiple viewings. It actually does work multiple viewings though, because once you know kind of where it's all going, then you're like, I think there's a reasonable take on first viewing, like, oh, it's aliens are coming to help, you know, help the humans, or it's mm-hmm. it's future. Like, whatever. There's a bunch of conclusions that you can reach to be perfectly reasonable. We're like, oh, maybe it's just the ghost, even. I'm sure some, somebody somewhere has thought. And, it's and just then, love. But then when you see, like, the, the parallax view of it, where you're like, you know, oh, no, from over here, from the end of the movie, from where you're at the first movie, it's not just a journey in distance. It's a journey in emotion. It's a, a journey of uh, just found knowledge, really. And that's what makes it because that's what this is ultimately. This this is it's grounded in emotion, but this this is the good side of that frontier spirit, which is not to say just like the colonization aspect of it, which again yeah. is the, there's a whole and, and also it's it's a bit like what science is. Like like uh science is actually like you know, understanding stuff. Like you don't understand how you know this book fell down. And yeah. this this movie basically goes through and explains to you how the book falls down. Um which but, but you start at you start at square one, kind of when you have to like leave Earth to go to a different planet too. Like, you're, but yeah, like... but the thing is though, is is it's like like you know our understanding at the like first time through watching it, you do think it's a ghost. You know, you do think, uh, or or if you even think about it at all, you know, because they 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 keep it. Um, uh, it's an unexplained phenomenon. You have to go through however you deal with unexplained. I never thought it yeah. was a ghost. Is no, it that the? It would have been real weird if it, it would have been real weird if it was a ghost. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's my dead. It's my dead. Uh, my dead pet. The, the you know the the blight the blight. Hey, it's my wife. That... <laughs> my, my wife is back, and she's she's uh, communicating to us through books and sand. Well, is and it... I mean, I, I think that there's also um, it's hard to parse out like what is an intentional uh, thing and what is like um, like just kind of an unexplained phenomenon with no real answer to it. So like just the word stay, right? Like you, you could you could just be kind of like leaving out the door and, and think you talking about humanity or are you talking about? Yeah, there's a lot of ways you can. Interpret yeah, that. <laughs> well, and also but also like even the decision whether to interpret it, right? Like you could be like, well, this is just a coincidence. Like a lot of science is determining what is a coincidence and what isn't yeah. or like what is uh, an unexplained phenomenon that's going to remain unexplained and, and and what isn't right like because it could just be a pattern that something falls into and it could be like stuck in a gravity field of some kind and that's how it happens but it's not it's intentional and i think that that's kind of a fascinating like realization at the end it's like yeah all right like that was an intentional message that he's trying to send to his daughter and in this moment and then we're you know like well it's the uncertainty principle right like so and it's look i know it, it's necessary for a breaking bad reference to be jumped immediately but it's a heisenberg effect <laughs> <laughs> where it's the act of observing something changes it and, and that's this this is very well illustrated here <laughs> like literally <laughs> Matthew McConaughey also, was the one who knocked I get it yeah. <laughs> it also reminds me of the Carl Sagan concept of that uh, magic is just science that's not yet been explained yes. well, which so... is often like paraphrased on Star Trek too like, like you'll see that a lot <laughs> where they uh, you know dealing with a species that doesn't understand technology Mm-hmm. It's often paraphrased by me too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because neutron is not just your surname. Exactly. Yo, by the way, this this movie had uh, Miller's Planet. They kept talking about that was the one with the wave. They're like, oh, Miller's Planet, Miller's Planet, and then they're like, it's next to a neutron star. 
And I was like, and then, you know, they're trying to get off the world. Like this movie does feel like it's, uh, it's tailored to the show's um, last Secret name. Messages. Secret <laughs> messages. And there were oaks all over that last planet. No. <laughs> and I do love. I do over love that last how... world, you mean? <laughs> yeah. I do love how they used the, uh, the Tesseract to address the, the time paradox of the message stay. Which is, you know, if he sends himself the message stay and he stays, he cannot send himself the message stay. Right. But then he also sends himself the go message because when you're in the fourth dimension, it's not like he's going back in time. It's like time isn't a fucking thing. It's it's like it's, just, oh, it's already happened. It's already how happened. did you it's time travel time, without time, making time, me upset? Time is a physical reality. But, but right? you like, also are going through his emotional journey doubly too. So. Like like he's <laughs> he's trying to you know. It's it's like the uh, steps of of acceptance, you know. Is he's uh, uh you know a- angry about it and is is uh you know coming to terms uh, with mm-hmm. it. You, you see this process while he's in the tesseract, like you know, getting it, and then he starts you know asking for information from uh for, from from uh, Tar, mm-hmm. Lady Tar. Yeah, I need you to help me uh, compose a message. I know you're good at composing things. <laughs> <laughs> How I conduct this sand. Crossover no one expected. Yes, yeah. Well, they should have, because my name on here is Lydia Tars. And I am I am an advocate. I am an ally. I'm a I'm a Lydia Tar uh, ally. I I really enjoyed Tars the robot. I mean, you know, in the classic paranoid android Marvin spectrum. He was genuinely funny, and that could have oh, been yeah. really like if you take a look at the black hole, uh, the Bob character, the Vincent character, not quite as funny, but trying. They did a really good job with what could have been a throwaway character. Well, you, you, if, yeah. you, if you get down to twenty percent, you're not going to like their jokes. They're like, "Oh, my wife, <laughs> my you're wife, a robot. you're not even married. <laughs> she couldn't fly a ship worth anything. She crashed it. Oh, it, it goes straight to the cat skill setting, and it's downhill. <laughs> Exactly. Try the field. Um, I, I also like that the, uh, the it's clear that 2001: A Space Odyssey exists as a movie in this universe uh, mm, yeah, because he makes yeah. the joke. Makes the like, gonna, joke. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. Which, if I was in that ship, right, would have just tear. Like I would have been like, "Wow, we're turning around." Like this ship just referenced 2001: A Space Odyssey, and the robots in control of everything. Like, get me the fuck off this ship. <laughs> but I, I like that they made that reference, and I like that um, it feels like it takes it a step further than. Uh, you know, the questions that Kubrick raised, which is like, you know, a robot that um, has a has a goal, like what is honesty really? And like, you know, yeah. what is being wrong? Like you, you realize that it's not that Hal was wrong. It's that Hal um, had a mission and the objective was to get to Jupiter. And when like anything that got in the way of the, mi- the mission, he had the objective to like destroy. And in this, they kind of d- dispense with that, with that like one moment where he's like, oh, he is, uh, this is, he's 95% o- um, honest or whatever, because, you know, honesty isn't always the most diplomatic policy. And it's like, that's, in itself, that number one is kind of would terrify me. So I'm like, you you let this robot well, lie. And then there's a, the, <laughs> like, later on. There's the like, well, you can't ask him to do that. It's like I'm not asking him. I'm telling him. Like that's yeah. and it's, it's, it's your reminder because yeah. you've humanized the robot at that point of a, like. And he's like, no, you right. you animals, you did it. You humanized the robot. <laughs> damn you, well, damn you. <laughs> to to quote another Star Trek episode, it's you know it's a very interesting way in how we humanize ourselves. If you're familiar with the episode with the Temerians, where Spock, I mean, where uh, Picard goes to a planet and he can only speak to the alien in phrases that the alien knows. These jokes that we have, making a Hal reference, is is like 
reaching out from robots to human race and being right. like, I get your culture. Uh, it really humanizes him so well. Well, they, and they say uh, it makes, you know, he, he thinks like these jokes put us at ease. And it's like, oh my God, they I don't. Do. But <laughs> not, not these jokes. Like, not that. able to read the room, as it turns out. <laughs> able to read all the settings of the different planets and everything, but not able to read the room. What a I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a uh, just an Andy robot. It's gonna just, every every time we get to a jam, it's gonna just recommend a movie that no, like it's just a bad movie. It's gonna be like or, or a reference you, to Stargate. You, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. You, you should see this movie. It's terrible. And it's like this is not the time, Andy Robot. J <laughs> <laughs> J Andrew Robot. <laughs> There's a giant wave about to crush us. But but have you seen <laughs> Wolf Warrior Two? Had it you know in in that movie? <laughs> like you're like no. Have you seen Escape from L.A.? They surf their way out of it. We could do this. I could yeah. be the board. Not a terrible um, movie. <laughs> the uh, the Tesseract design also reminded me uh, when Andy and I went to New York City. We were walking through the the movie drome or the cinema drome thing um that they had at this museum and it shot all the images from like different movies and stuff it was like this this huge like geodesic dome that had like uh that was shooting all the images from like the history of movie making and it kind of reminded me of that kind of lighting design because the entire thing was full of uh these like Im like these moving images kind of yeah absolutely geodesic domes rock by the way yeah <laughs> like it's been a long time just just chilling in there yeah <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> We met Matthew McConaughey. He gave us uh, ketamine. <laughs> we know exactly what it's like to go through a black hole now. <laughs> no, but Just... we did get arrested for playing the bongos naked. There you go. Uh, if you want to know black hell, you should meet my wife. <laughs> right back to that Catskill comedy. Exactly. Yep. That's, a, that's, that's this show's sweet spot, apparently. Uh, we doing one-liners or what? what? What are we doing here? Uh, yeah. Cool. So Letterboxd, of course, is a uh, social media site for film lovers to talk at with and to each other about the movies they love, maybe the movies that they didn't love, the movies that they were incredibly confused by and wrote entire treatises about, perhaps. And, of course, all of this is not just the Siskels and Eberts of the world. Bottom-up democracy. Everyone gets to have their say, and everyone gets to chime in all about it. Best expressed succinctly. Time dilation is definitely a factor here, folks. Mm. Keep it succinct. Uh, these are the Letterboxd one-liners for Interstellar. Did you guys know there's a ticking noise that plays faintly in the background and every second that goes by is one day on Earth? Yeah, I did learn that from that Letterboxd one. <laughs> That's kind of a mind-blower. I, I totally I did notice that this time. That was just... That was just a fun fact. That's less of a funny thing. But. That's a very biggie fact. Like, if you don't know, now yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, watch it again. Is this what happens when you drink the Grimace shake? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, no, you get the blight. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the blight started. <laughs> Absolutely terrified of those stupid, creepy wall robots. Oh, unjust. I have, uh, I, I have like an air conditioner now that looks like that. Like it's like this big, bulky <laughs> cylindrical thing. You need to see the the design for Maximilian, the robot in Black Hole. That is that's, a scary robot. That's a scary robot. I agree. Truly, it is every boy's dream to abandon his family and traverse the galaxies with Anna Hathaway and a sarcastic robot. This is true. <laughs> that's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, really. It really is. Anne Hathaway's the Zaphoy Beeblebrocks. Exactly. It was a. Uh, what, what? Who? Who was it in the? Um. It was. What's her uh, adorable mm. chick? What was? What was her? Um, Zoe, Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel. Yeah. Deschanel, yeah. 
Deshaunel. Of the Shaunels. Deshaunel? Deshaunel? Well, I've never heard it said out loud before. <laughs> Swag robot. True. <laughs> True. See, you As they get... say, no cap. Yeah, yeah, you, you get the wide swath of opinions on robots. And Swag, no, it's, it's uh, swag level, uh, 110. Yeah, that's cranked up all the way. That was busted. Typical man leaving the female astronaut to raise the future of humanity on her own while he goes off to party in a black hole. And yo, pretend yo, like yo. he was the big martyr for letting himself go. Yo, they, they dunk on him so hard when he's like, uh, he's like, wow, you guys named this whole center after me? And he's like, they just all start laughing. And they're like, no, not you, your daughter. We found you floating in space. Yeah, but they're also like they also like kind of demean him when they when they do that. Like they're like um they're like it's your daughter, but she said that you you kind of helped out. Like you you were you know right yeah yeah yeah. It's totally like a fake praise. Damn it! It's like okay, grandpa. You know, I sure. I bet I bet she like started a myth. She started a myth about herself. She's like uh she's like yeah my dad was just some fucking hick farmer. I I you know I actually did the work. Uh my dad was just some guy that really liked farming, and I hope he's out there. <laughs> By the way, that's uh, that's my letterbox friend Jason Lee. He's uh, does a thing called postcards nice. from Hobbs End. He's a very awesome dude. So not to be confused with the uh, skateboarding actor. Not to be confused with the skateboarding actor at all. No, they're very different people. Although, all right, all right, if, all right. If people were like <laughs> not believing the old lady that she came up with this through you know love from her father across time. He just showed up and he's 30. I really feel like that seals the deal on did she or didn't she. Yeah. I think, but think about legend making, right? People aren't thinking that hard about it. Mm. You know what I mean? They're, they're probably like, oh, it's kind of crazy that, uh, I don't know, that's. But I, I do kind of like that uh, people couldn't make the, like, it implies that people couldn't make the logic jump to like your dad's in space sending your messages. They're like, yeah, we believe you that like, you know, there's another planet out there and we can travel there. And like, we believe all the stuff that you're doing about science, like new stuff. We don't believe you about your dad. I'm sorry. That's that's the that's jumping the shark for us. People really get hung up on banal details. I'm just saying. Just saying. Night extravaganza. <laughs> <laughs> Space Mountain at Disneyland feels a lot like this. Oh, I was too short. I didn't know. I don't know. I can't say. Hmm. I'm driving through Space Mountain and <laughs> I'm just I'm just trying to understand the, the differences between space and time, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, like, like totally that 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 last part where you go down that water slide, going down that water slide, man. <laughs> the wave plant, the wave planet, still gets me sweating. It is such a tense scene, and I know everything that's gonna happen. They're yeah. so right. And, and again, you know, that goes back to the like first time I saw it. I was like, "Holy shit, is that a wave?" <laughs> and to be like, "Oh, whoa, yeah." It's, uh, it's a bit pleasant though when when it's hot out. And you know you're on Adderall, you're fucking a little dehydrated. You see all that water, you're like, you know, it's it's the planet, it's the planet. You need to be on that on the wave planet. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If we, if we were writing the SNL skit when this came <laughs> out, then uh, yeah, McConaughey would have busted loose the surfboard, I'm sure. But <laughs> you know, that's that's what I like about these waves, man. Love this movie so much, but why does Matt Damon always need his ass saved in space? Legit. <laughs> And this, he does not get his. He does not get his ass saved. No, he does not. He just needs needs it. it. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's the baseline criteria of why he's doing it. Anyway, those are the letterbox one liners for Interstellar. Please follow the show. That's uh, Lydia Tars over there. 
at Movie Night Extra, mm-hmm. now conducting the self-destruct sequence. Get it? Ah, ah, it's funny because imminent destruction. Uh, it, it, it's funny, man, because Lydia Tyre got herself canceled. You know, <laughs> <laughs> logging all the shows that we do on this, uh, logging all the movies that we do on this show, and uh, so much more. Of course, Conan Neutron, Planet Neutron is the correct choice, as y'all know, as is following me because I'm always logging all the stuff: the highbrow, the midbrow, uh, the populist fair. Follow me along for the Criterion Challenge. I'm ahead of the game, people. I'm definitely finishing this year, even with some touring in the fall. So just just know that in your heart of hearts, people. Uh, Jay Andrew, end of the world. That's that's just kind of a catch-all nickname, I think, for most of the movies we cover. Black hole of references and also a black hole of weird cinema that, uh, you know, all the weirdest (laughs) stuff. So you don't don't have to. Or maybe so you can. I don't know. Maybe you can warn yourself about it. I find (laughs) some gems on occasion. Exactly. It's all... Any which way you you look at it, it's all there, and uh, he's he's doing it. Call him uh, Adam Sandler because he finds some gems on occasion. <laughs> I got gems. KT, <laughs> vital information necessary, centralized is on Letterboxd and is 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 moving forward uh, like like a cosmic child uh, with uh, with doing doing a thing now and again. So you can follow KT as well. Jay Underworld, please take some plugs. All right, you're watching us on YouTube right now, so please do those YouTube things: like, comment, subscribe, hit that different bell. Different Jason Lee, I said so it was you a can different get, Jason Lee. Yeah, <laughs> uh, hit hit that bell, please, so so you can uh, uh, you know find out when we're doing new uh, when new videos are coming out, when we're going live, and all that kind of stuff. Hit that, and hit that, uh, hit that bell, man. The big the big ask force is to watch the video to the end. That that allows you you know you you get the the short term benefit of hearing a great Conan Neutron song. But we get the added benefit of uh, allowing other movie fans to find our content. So, you know, please, please uh, support us in that small way. Even if you want to, you know, mute it and put the thing at the, at the bottom of the, the window at the bottom of the screen and do other stuff. I don't I don't care. Just, you know, keep yeah, it going. To the end. Watch it to the end. Yeah, it's up to you. It's up to you. Just just please watch it to the Leave end. Leave us on for your dogs and cats. <laughs> they get lonely. They love us. Yes. I love it. Yeah, we, we just discovered the uh, the bird. You're not channel. ready for it, but your pets are gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we we are on uh, social media. You can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and now Blue Sky. Uh, yeah. So please, if I'm you're sorry on- to all the uh, to all the targeted minority groups that I used a second uh, invite to um, Blue Sky. You know, you couldn't get off Twitter. I'm sorry, I had to make a podcast one. You know, I'm sure it'll get backlash somewhere because everyone's like, oh, don't use it for your, uh, you know, for for a second account. It wasn't my invite. I didn't use my own invite. I gave my invite to Conan. Conan. Finally, finally <laughs> someone remembered the Neutron. <laughs> but I did use Christina's invite to make a Blue Sky for the podcast. Follow us on there. That's a long story to say. Follow us on that thing if you're on it. Yeah, yeah. If you're on there, fi- find us there. And if not, uh, maybe Are some we on threads. And I'll, I don't know. I, and, I, I, and I'll I, do better next not time. Not yet. Not yet. I, I'm on thread. Well, the, th- the nice thing about threads is that you can find your friends easy because it's all connected with uh, um, Facebook and, and Instagram. The bad thing we- about threads is literally everything else. But yeah. yes, correct. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, uh, I, I uh, first, joined first- it. I was immediately followed by uh, Cat Turd. The first, uh, the first post that I saw on threads was um fucking Chris D'Elia being like, hey guys, and I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> don't, so, yeah. don't, <clears throat> don't worry, not, Stevie, I'm not on Blue like, Sky. My, my following list is not the list that Chris D'Elia should be on. He should be on a sex offender list. 
but but uh, if you like that take and you want more of that, uh, we have a we have a Patreon. Uh, <laughs> after parties, where we're constantly saying things like that. And we're constantly strength. talking about Chris D'Elia, man. What, what, yeah. what, what can you say? Yeah. All that right. All right. Exclusive Chris D'Elia content. I don't even know if I want to be on that. <laughs> <laughs> This is uh, this is going better than the one where I just started doing a Mario voice. It couldn't stop. That first. wasn't even on the after party. That was on the main show. I know. <laughs> and it went on for so long. <laughs> it comes back around and gets funny again. It did, but I was like, I can't imagine what people actually coming to hear about Escape from New York are thinking about this. <laughs> but yeah, please follow us. Uh, you know, please, please... Escape from this stream like the escape from the bit but yeah, yeah wasn't well working. you know I, i'm trying to escape from this this tangent so we can talk about uh, <laughs> uh the, our patreon uh but we're on tangents at movie night extravaganza oh we sure are Yo, we're, we're like we're uh we're, we're real close to getting a new social media site called like tangents like i feel like that's a good name for <laughs> that'd one. be great yeah <laughs> this is like this is for like this is for the stuff that you think should i post this on twitter and you're like yeah this is you know <laughs> tangents tangents yeah here we it's go. for kids. So, so Conan, you just had uh, yes. Rick Pelletier and Jay Ryan from the Six Fingered Satellite. From, did you say from the Six Finger Satellites? <laughs> oh, we got uh, Rick Pelletier and Jay Ryan from the Six Finger Satellites coming up next. Uh, yeah, no, it was a great episode. Uh, those guys are, if you're into that kind of music, legendary, legendary fellas. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, there's a reissue of Pigeon's Most Popular Bird on Sub Pop. It's great episode very in-depth if you're remotely into that band or even like heard about them uh stevie's giving me props i gotta put that on screen uh then you should check it out and if you're not then you probably don't care about literally any of the things we just talked about but that's only some of the entertainment that you can uh, expect to find when you tune into conan church photographer yeah because you're gonna have m martin from coordinated suicides in pink city coming on uh this week that's true. That that is absolutely true, and that should that should be a good one. Uh, also, Karyatids, who are I just just saw them with Porcelain recently, new band. Uh, very good. He's he's very, he's consistently good. Good. All right. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and if you if you want to uh, support that, uh, Conan also has a Patreon. Yep. So you can uh, dollar a month, and you get uh, early access to the episodes. That's right. And uh, it's it, we're on all the different social medias. I've never standardized the username, so figure it out. Oh, not on Blue Sky, I guess, but, uh, you know, all the rest of them. Yeah, Mastodon. <laughs> Mastodon also has that extra. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Whatever. We don't talk far. about Mastodon. <laughs> it's the disused Linux of social media, unfortunately. Peace and love. But uh, you have a show coming up uh, with uh, Rick Valentine of uh, Poster Children. Valentine, or, I mean, and, Poster uh, Children, which yeah. Rick Valentine will be our guest next week. Uh, so, so kind of a big deal for after hours. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Poster children are an incredible band and we're playing with them in Milwaukee on Saturday and that should be an incredible show. So anyone <laughs> remotely in, in the area, hopefully everybody knows about it, but, uh, yeah, go, go see that. That should be a good one. It's also going to be one of our only Milwaukee shows this year. Uh, and then we have, um, two shows of Columbus, Cincinnati and Louisville next week. Uh, and then Madison, I think the week after that. That's all I can. I got. I, I got a tour to announce in the fall, but still can't see anything. So sorry. It's okay. You, you'll be able to announce it when you can announce it. But but if exactly. if you can't wait, it's a teaser. If you can't wait for uh to see Conan, why not go to neutronfriends.bandcamp.com and get yourself some actual music? Mm-hmm. Right. Please do yeah. so. 
broke. Yeah, was it twenty six bucks for everything? <laughs> is that is that? Yeah, name? yeah, you can get the whole digital discography, you know, which is which is there's a crazy amount of music there. That's a uh, four was it four records? Four records? Well, uh, th- uh, three three full lengths, a singles collection, two EPs, something like that. That's it's lots. It's good value. Good value. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you very well worth. You gotta have a, a fifth CD that's just like your thoughts. It's just like a recording that you carry around with you. You're like today I thought about, and it's like uh, it's like wow, I got I got all these CDs, but like Conan's thoughts. That's yeah, why yeah, that's, that's a wild that's, that's a wild it's, record. It's the bonus CD. It's, it's, <laughs> get that spoken word Emmy. Exactly. For people that don't hear me talk enough in the podcast <laughs> or this podcast. He started talking about quantum gravity. I think maybe he, they're doing interstellar. I don't know. Look, if, if I thought it would get more patrons, I'll talk about that all day long. It's fine. I don't mind. I've done that for free. <laughs> Usually to drunk people. <laughs> hey, drunk people. You want, you want to talk about I'm, astrophysics? <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> no, hey, I've had my fair share of drinks with, well, scientists, but, you know, that's just how <laughs> yeah. I roll. I've lived a blessed life. I'm a I'm a good Christian man, so I don't I don't uh I don't believe in science. If a scientist walks up to me, I'm saying the only science I need is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mike Patton did make a CD of him just making weird noises. It's true, and people bought it. Wait, you can you can do that? You're Mike Patton. I'm not. If you're Mike Patton, yes, you can. To be clear, if you're as talented as Mike Patton, yes, you can. But yeah, the average person should definitely not do that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And if uh, you don't know who Mike Patton is necessarily, he was from uh, he was in Faith No More. Yeah, like that's what. Oh, he's not the guy from Police Academy. (laughs) That's uh, Michael Winslow. (laughs) The beeps, the the beeps, and the creeps. Like good noise making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I wonder if they like hang out with each other. That would be amazing. (laughs) They should do a duet album together. You know, just making noises. You heard it here first, guys. Them and I mean, bring them together. Them and the Scatman. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that guy's. Well, he passed away, unfortunately. Yeah. That's a, that's a uh, crazy yeah. story, though. Like, yeah, yeah. The, anyways, but uh, Christina is not here. I do want to say, uh, sit, uh, buy her coffee. Go go to kofficoffee.com slash cosmopolitics and <laughs> give her uh, buy her coffee uh, or catch her on Twitch uh, when she's uh, next online. So uh, you know, follow her there at cosmopolitics. And of course, KT, you you had some plugs that I don't know about. It's secret plugs. No secret plugs, secret plugs. It's like uh, NASA. Conan yes. Neutron and the Conan Neutron and the secret plugs. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh uh, man, why did like, that chat not get collection. that one? That's yeah. Jesus. Uh, no, I do want to again plug that uh, I will be uh, appearing in the um, opinions may vary. Uh, podcast where I play Gansfield, the Russian villain, and one of the pod, uh, true crime podcast hosts, uh, and that's the Starwell Foundation, uh, and that's getting edited and will be coming out soon. But I also wanted to plug that I am working with people uh, to bring a haunted house to New York City for its second year in uh, the old Ripley's Believe It or Not building. Oh. Uh, this is called Terror Haunt. So if you go on Instagram, at Terror Haunt, uh, you can see we just did finished up our casting. You can see some of the themes for this year, uh, but it's going to be a really fun haunted house you can visit. Very cool. All right. Oh, and I did also want to shout out to my brother who came to our live show and yep. is in the chats again today. Hey, <laughs> oh, Nick. Fantastic. Yes, Woo. we speak your name, literally. 
Yes, and, and one last it. plug. My birthday is Friday. Um, I posted oh. on social media uh, uh, an Amazon wish list. If you wanted to get me something, uh, you can do it from there. Stargate if, box set. Yeah. Stargate yeah. box set and VHS. Yeah. Um, it, or if you want to uh, join me uh, the day before my birthday, uh, one of my favorite bands, The Fawns, is doing a free show in Northampton. Uh, so so uh, come to that. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay any money. Uh, show starts at six. Uh, and uh, I'd love to see you there. And Maybe we could do something afterwards. So uh, please come join me. Have fun. Well, Katie, do you have some final thoughts? <laughs> final thoughts. I, you know what? I had a really, a really stoned but appropriate thought earlier today. Uh, I was looking at a Papazon chair, and I realized that I think I have almost experienced singularity. If you've ever sat in a Papazon chair and then had somebody else try and sit in the chair with you, you both got pushed to the exact same point. And I feel like that's my final thought. <laughs> that's what that song by Kevin Federline was about, right? <laughs> sure. Conan. Don't humor him. Conan, <laughs> do you have some final thoughts? Yes, Hal. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I Look, I think you have to be bought into the idea that humanity should endure and the frontier mentality is a narrative function. But I think it's, this is a very richly shot and focused film that's very ambitious. Um, some of the things that I felt were flawed the first time around didn't bother me at all this time. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, very daringly inscrutable and exceptionally complex. But knowing the answers isn't the point. It's all about the vistas, uh, the incredible visuals, the production design, big ideas, the, the soaring sense of scale. It all works for me. I think it's very engrossing. I think the performances are great. And it, as I said before, definitely rewards both the patient and repeat viewings. And it's definitely worth a dip past the black hole to take advantage of the time dilation on that 169 minute runtime. Um, mm -hmm. I wanna hear I wanna hear that comment, but given by Matthew McConaughey saying <laughs> it's all about the vistas, man. Sometimes it's all about the vistas, man. That's why I drive my Lexus. <laughs> As I say, I can see us in the commercial. Yeah, he's with my Lincoln. I don't do this because it was cool. I did it so I could see those vistas. <laughs> Andy. Andy, do you have Final thoughts. <laughs> I, I do. My favorite thing about this movie is perspectives. Um, like, like our view of the universe is so limited because of our scope of time that we've been on this planet and the fact that we can only see what is observable around us and we can't zoom out to see the bigger picture. And this movie attempts to, to zoom out a little bit, to, to try to show us that, that bigger picture of the universe, uh, to see that cosmic, cycle of life that that we are a small part of but we don't quite comprehend our little piece of it because we don't see the larger picture that was very well said <laughs> i lost it i uh i i, I lost it i lost the i lost the how voice but <laughs> uh i still would prefer having Hal doing navigations to like fucking siri or whatever you know they, I, I, I'm just saying. And that's I'm my sure final you can thought. set your theory to be hell. I would be shocked if you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's my final thought. So uh, not even know. about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like this movie a lot. I like my brain's kind of been jumping around in a million directions with thinking about it because we feel like it feels like we're so close to like, you know, uh, climate apocalypse that kind of mirrors because you don't know, like we don't know what. The, the temperature rising is going to do to the you know to the earth as a whole like there's a million other possibilities of things that um could could have existed like uh with natural disasters with um 
you know, just all kind of like fault lines opening up, like all that thing. Like it seems almost apocalyptic. So this movie kind of uh, hits those same notes. And of course, the blade, you got to wear the masks all the time. People are going to be real pissed about that. <laughs> Let me die from the dirt. Mask up. There's, I wonder if there's like blade anti-maskers. Blight's not real. Blight's not real. Like, yeah, well, but you don't see them in the movie because they're all dead. What I mean, there are people who are disavowing the landing on the moon. So, yes. Yes, there are. Bill Gates are. bought up all the land, and somehow that's connected to us not being able to grow food no more. And he'd be put something with dirt. I don't know. You know why? Blight's not real. <laughs> Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> 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 